The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I know you listened to James Cahill's podcast with Will Darren Hall. They asked James who was going to win. He said Galway. Well, why do you think? Because I just really, really want him to win. <laughs> Subscribe to the GA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, bang at half past seven this Tuesday morning. The world and his wife are down in a dare manner and so is Owen Sheehan. Owen, good morning to you. How are you? Very well, Ger. A very good morning to you. How are things? What's it like? Rubbing shoulders and, and that's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was rubbing shoulders. Nathan got to rub uh, Jordan's speed shoulders yesterday, which was uh, obviously the, the highlight of the day from an OTB perspective. Uh, it I is noticed, uh, miserable I, enough uh, weather-wise. Sorry, go ahead. I noticed Jordan Speed's wife insisted on being present whenever uh, Jordan and Nathan were alone. Very much so. Uh, she was uh, looking after him quite closely, and uh, it seemed that she was looking after him more closely after Nathan had spoke to him, because I only saw them, you know, hanging around together after Nathan had spoke to them and uh, she was keeping quite a close guard of him and Nathan came up to me and was like, job done, Jordan Spieth interview, in the can. And I think, I mean, we're all quite happy with uh, how things turned out for him, right? I mean, this is this is not something we need to be envious of or we need to be overly critical of. This is something that's uh, just a great moment of him, uh, for him. I think it's a great moment in the history, in the 20-year history of off the ball, I, I can't really remember as joyous uh, what, what was it that uh, Eamon Dunphy said about Garth Crooks and Sven Goran Eriksson it's the first time that the BBC has had two men having sex on television <laughs> together it's the first time that we've, we've done it on our YouTube channel as well I mean I think that's uh, just a, about time really I mean he has been chasing him for quite some time he came here with one aim and one aim only you had one job Nathan. and to be fair to you you did it yeah, I mean, the whole point about Moby Dick is you don't get to kill the white whale in the end. But uh, but in this case, <laughs> I'll stop the, there. But the you white, know what I mean? The, yeah. yeah, the white whale has been landed with a harpoon yeah. thrown from uh, the, the, the hip of uh, Nathan Murphy. But uh, yeah, no, what, what a day to you know just be a friend of the pod, I'd say yesterday. What a day to be a member of Golf Weekly. Uh, I would say for you people, it was quite a, a satisfying moment to see this story come full circle. Yeah. Oh, nice coat. You're, you just grow up well. Is this like because you're in like the poshest place in Ireland? You've decided you're gonna. Pretty much. I mean, you gotta put on your Sunday best, even though it's uh, whatever day of the week it is, and you gotta spruce yourself up to look the best you possibly can in this company. You've even brushed I mean, your hair. Uh, I mean, you, like I'm, we're doing this five and a half years, and that's never happened. No, I actually didn't brush my hair. I guess it's just the the lovely Adair wind that just blows elegantly through the strands of your hair, I guess. And so, unfortunately, the weather's not good today. It was grand yesterday. It seemed fine, like good. Yeah, like it's a, it's a little bit damp this morning, a little bit of drizzle. Seamus Power has just teed off on the first yard in front of me. This is the, the 18th green right behind me. As you can see, the, the hotel is over my right shoulder. It should clear up as the day goes on. Yesterday was pretty nice. I got sunburnt today. Looks like it's not going to be that sort of day, but uh, it, it might brighten up a little bit later when Tiger is back on the course. He's out in the afternoon once again today because I presume for the television audience that'll be waiting for him in the United States of America. Maybe he wants a lie-in and maybe everybody's just like, you get your lie-in two days in a row because everybody here is to see Tiger Woods. I got down here yesterday after uh, AM, drove down and as soon as I parked up, I saw a massive crowd on the driving range. I didn't even need to go over and see who was uh, warming up over there. And uh, he comes through to the, to the putting green uh, in his... Uh, buggy, which Gavin Cooney, the 42, described as a, a pub mobile, which was quite apt, I thought, that everybody just kind of following him as he as he came through, just hoping to get just a little glimpse 
just a little glimpse is all anybody wanted of, of the man himself, not even to, to touch the man, just to, to see him. Like, I mean, I would probably include myself in that. And uh, that first tee was was pretty special yesterday, to be fair. Just this huge congregation of people. You had uh, John Kiley on uh, on the first tee. And as the day moved on, you had Limerick Hurlers uh, walking the course with Tiger because play was slow. People were happy to, to stop and talk with the, the gallery, with the patrons, whatever you want to call them. And uh, that subsequently held the whole thing up. But I don't think that was something that anybody was overly worried about yesterday because the Limerick Hurlers and a few other people got to spend time uh, with Tiger and he was more than happy to, to just chat and shoot the breeze. Uh, so that's that's Tiger. You were obviously, I think, I mean, I had footage. You had footage on your own Twitter account of um, him teeing off at the first from very close. Did you did you walk around behind him as well on the course? I, I didn't because uh, I hung around on the putting green after the first tee because I knew that there was going to be people coming off the course to to actually chat the likes of uh, Alan Hansen and Martin O'Neill who will bring to you in a little while and uh, Kylie as well. So that's kind of where you'd get them. You kind of go full Martin Brundle mode. Uh, on the grid when you're up around that putting green it's like there's somebody famous is that Megan the Stallion is that Patrick Mahomes I better go and actually have a word with uh, that person but no it's uh, it's Martin O'Neill which is a far more glamorous uh, outcome than Megan the Stallion uh, so that's kind of how you go around uh, the putting green here and that's what I was doing instead of following Tiger all day but today might be that day uh, where I get to, to follow him for the afternoon Martin sometimes people mistake you for Mick McCarthy <laughs> did not say that or, or Trap that would have been a good opener that would have been a really good opener, actually. I don't know why I didn't use that. Uh, so what other celebrities were you uh, rubbing shoulders with and who else was there? And, and cause I, I saw Keith Wood, there was a TikTok yesterday. He, he was giddy. And I can't mm. wait to get him back on the show this week to go, you were pretty giddy. He was he was like, you know, ooh. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, it, it's okay. We saw Nathan lose his cool with Jordan Spieth. Were you losing your cool with anybody in particular? I mean, I think the, the, I think everybody loses their cool when, when Tiger comes through. I didn't really know what to do when he came through. I was like, let's just follow this crowd here. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> his his buggy did break down before it got to the first tee, which Oof. was uh, quite something yesterday. Uh, I believe it was because the buggy wasn't uh, kind of straight in an area it wasn't supposed to go. Right. Um, so, yeah, like it's, I mean, it, it is quite on you. I'm not sure, is it unusual? But it does seem that the, the golfers themselves are quite unprotected when they're walking around this place, certainly when they're going in to return their card, that there is good access to them. If you want to get an autograph, get a picture that you just see Marikawa and Ram and Shoffley and Justin Thomas all just kind of casually wandering into the clubhouse in Limerick it, it is kind of surreal to, to be quite honest that it is just that quality of field and uh, and just the, the, the player after player after player like nine of the, the world's top ten just hanging around here for the week a long time ago at the Pro-Am the Irish Open Pro-Am you used to be able to practice in the same bays as professionals and I remember like practicing and, and uh, Harrington was one bay over and McElroy was one bay over but the, the true moment of like being genuinely starstruck was when Andrei Shevchenko rocked up he's there as well playing off zero it turns out yeah, I haven't seen him around yet. He was playing yesterday morning, so I would have missed him. But he is around here somewhere. I must try and get a, a word with him if I can find him throughout the day. The the list of of celebs here is uh, is pretty impressive. I mean, there is. I mean, for uh, certain people, they would probably be mostly impressed by Team Westlife, which is Luke Donald with Keen Egan, Shane Filan and Nicky Byrne not doing too badly actually it turns out uh, like uh, it, it is interesting when you kind of uh, hear try, try and kind of gauge the, the mood around some of these players here this week so what you had yesterday at the very end of the day was or close to the end of the day was, was Tiger teeing off in the first then Leona Maguire teeing off after him with her group and then Rory teeing off after her 
and Tiger got a massive roar, but like the roar didn't necessarily diminish when Leona Maguire stood on the first tee. And I guess, I, I mean, I don't think I'm in the minority here. Just the opportunities to have seen Leona Maguire play in the flesh and to see what sort of reception she gets at home. They've been few and far between, especially post her Salim Cup success. And it's kind of like, I don't know, like uh, listening to the reception when Kean Lynch is, is warming up in Croke Park at the weekend or when Rachel Blackmore is, is riding in front of a full punch. Now, you don't actually quite appreciate it until you have that sort of home crowd and the, 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 the massive roar from the people here to realise what level that person's profile has got to. She is the only female golfer in the field in terms of the professionals here this week and she got a hell of a reception on the first tee. I don't think she was overly happy with how she played yesterday. But I don't think we also appreciate just how uh, how high her star has risen over the last uh, little while. Totally, like you know how obsessive about golf the people in uh, in OTB are about their golf. They created a whole podcast about it. Uh, well, it turns out like anybody who's into their golf is that into it. And if you're that into it, then you recognise that she is a global superstar in the making. And you know uh, she is our next Rory McIlroy. That's where we're going with this. It's um, she's at that level, and, and they really appreciate that too. So stay with us on uh, OTB AM. Brought to you live each morning by. Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. We're obviously live from Adair for the next while. Derek McNamara, rugby analyst, is going to join us at 7.50 to talk to us about what happened against the All Blacks. David Herrod is going to join us at 10 past 8 to try and put some context on Brian Cody bringing Kilkenny back to another All-Ireland final against Limerick. Sports pages at half eight. Jenny Claffey is going to talk tennis to us at 8.50. Chris Medlin is going to talk Formula One to us at ten past nine. And we have more from uh, Adair at half past nine this morning. If you've missed the bit where Nathan finally caught up with Jordan Spieth, then it's on all of our social channels. But um, yeah, here's a taste of Owen's content bonanza from yesterday at Adair Manor as he spoke with Martin O'Neill, Alan Hansen and John Kiley. We're back after these, as I said, with rugby statistician Derek McNamara breaking down Ireland's first test defeat to New Zealand. First of all, your own game today, how did you get on? I uh, started off poorly and uh, improved, which was good. But I don't play the game anyway, but uh, we were playing, our professional was Marco Mira, and uh, two-time uh, uh, major champion, so that can't be too bad. Do you get nervous playing in front of a, a professional, ex-professional? I think that if you, um, if you don't play the game, I think that's, that's, the, that's the, really the concern. And I think that people coming down probably expect you to be able to hit the ball like a professional. But uh, it, was, it was great. It was a lovely day. You're back out again tomorrow? I'm back out again tomorrow. And we've got uh, we've, our professional is Rory McIlroy. Very good. Right. OK. So no pressure on that one. No, none at all. Can I just ask Martin, do you get to watch much of the Republic of Ireland football team at the moment? I, I, see, I, see, plenty of the, I see plenty of them and um, um, I, it just, I, I think it um, might have been about the, uh, I, I might have missed the, the last game or maybe this was the second last game, but generally speaking I watch them, you know. So, yeah. well, what do you make of them at the moment? Well, I think that um, what you want to try and do with the side obviously is uh, try and improve. Uh, it is um, it is important, of course, that, um, that well. Let, let me put it this way: Steve wants to run. Uh, he, he wants to. Uh, he wants to play. He wants to do his own particular thing. Uh, let's let's get some time and see how it goes. Patience is required, almost. I, I think that's right. Are you planning to go back into management yourself anytime soon? I'll I'll have a think about it. You know, genuinely have a think about it, but we'll see. Focus on the golf game for now. No, I don't. As I said to you, I don't play. I don't play golf. I haven't played in ages. But I got um, I got an invitation to to come here uh, through Dermot Desmond, uh, owner of Celtic. He and I had a, a really good time together at uh, at Celtic. So um, when he asks, I don't think you refuse. No. 
So, how did that go for you out there today? It was um, incredible. We had a great day. The the weather was good. The course is absolutely magnificent, and there's no margin for error whatsoever. Um, uh, Tyrrell played great, and he finished, I think, four or five under. But the team finished twelve under. So, we've, we've all in all, it's been a really, really good day. Who played uh, the best out of your group? I see John Terry there walking over your shoulder as well. well John Terry finished birdie birdie, which was absolutely terrific. Um, yeah, I mean, we all contributed at some stage. I probably played the worst of the three amateurs, but um, no, we still had good crack and it was it was a really good day. And but the, I think the course is the winner. This is um, a course that is immaculate, uh, terrific to play. Most enjoy what we play, but it's really hard. I mean, the, as I say, the runoffs are, are brutal, and if you the, the margins for error are really fine, but. I don't think you'll get a course in the world that's in better condition than this. Ryder Cup won't look out of place here. Oh, well, they, they've got some some great pin positions that they... <laughs> all the very best, even for the best players in the world. I mean, they've got some pin positions there that will test anybody. So it's... Um, oh, it'll be magnificent for... And the crowd has been great. The crowd, the Irish people are always uh, just unbelievable. I mean, they are, they are great. And to get the numbers in here that we've had today... Um, and they're all all so friendly, and we had a bit of banter between sort of Chelsea and Liverpool, and it was great. It was just great to see them all and, and cheering and, and having a great time because that's what it's all about, really. That's what you want. I must ask, when you saw the Mo Salah news last week, how did you feel? Yeah, no, it's great for Liverpool because um, um, the loss of Manny is, is, is big for them, um, and if the two of them had gone. Uh, they'd have to change the, the, the game completely because the, the, the pressing game is um, Salah and Manny were, were probably the best I've ever seen at pressing um, but it's good that Salah signed because uh, if Liverpool are going to keep on top um, they've got to keep the best players Do you still keep as close an eye on the game now as you did when you were no. a match at the Day No, 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 no I, I retired eight years ago so um, I wouldn't know half the players that are playing. Ask Kenny. Kenny, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny knows every single one of them. Knows, he knows their date of birth and, and, and where they played before. And uh, he, is, he is remarkable, Kenneth. But um, no, I, I, I go to, to watch Liverpool and I still enjoy watching Liverpool, but I don't go that much. Just one last question. I was just going to say that you've really kept your word when you said you were going to step away from Punditry. I'm sure your, your phone is hopping every so often to well, try no, and. No, I obviously get asked back a lot of the time, but. Um, I've just made it clear that I, I really don't want to. I mean, I had a great time. I had 22 years as a pundit. I had uh, 18 as a professional footballer. I had the, the best time in the world. Now I've got six grandchildren, so they're the. Who's prior. your favourite pundit now? Um, oh no, they're very good. You know, they're, they're all very good. It's it's not easy now because of, of what you 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 can't say and you can't say. I mean, so, but it's a hard job. So they all do well. We are here at Adair Manor with Limerick hurling boss John Kiley. John, has uh, the heart calmed down a little bit after yesterday yet? Uh, just about, no. Yeah, listen, we, we got a good night's sleep last night and you know we're resting today, I suppose, and we'll get back on the horse tomorrow evening at training again. Who have you been watching so far here today? Uh, I've been very, very lucky, actually, as uh, I got down onto the, the practice uh, driving range and got to meet a couple of the players down there, uh, Dustin Johnson and uh, just one or two more. Uh, listen, I'm, a, I'm actually quite a... 
an avid golf watcher. Uh, I like to watch a lot of golf. I'm not a good golfer to play it, but uh, I enjoy watching it. And so, yeah, this is a real treat to be able to just see these guys in the flesh and, you know, listen, to have an event like this in Limerick is, is super as well. And for 100 charities to benefit from it, you know, what, what better way to, you know, get out for a day and enjoy it and, and support this, this fantastic event. You were down at the first tee box for Tiger as well, I think, were you? I was, yeah. I was lucky enough to get down there for, for 10 minutes and, uh, yeah, listen. He's a, one of the all-time greats, and just to see him teeing off here in, in Adair is just a fantastic sight. After his accident last year, you know, for him to be still able to play, I think is just wonderful, you know, one of the greatest of all time. So, yeah, really pleased to see him back uh, able to compete again. I'm sure you're getting bugged by everybody left, right and centre today. Better than it being the other way around on the back of a defeat, I presume. Yeah, well, listen, you know, it was a really tough game yesterday and it could have gone either way. We're, we're fortunate we got the, the scores just at the vital times, but, you know, we have a real battle in our hands now for two weeks' time, but we'll work hard for the next two weeks and we'll get there. Good luck with those two weeks, Sean. Thanks a million. Not at all, thank you. That's uh, John Kiley very happy in the aftermath of that. Uh, Alan Hansen happy to be there for the first minute, but the second minute was clearly like, I'm standing up and you're small and I'm walking away. So that was the fastest he's moved in 20 years, it turns out. 7.46, if you want to get involved, we'd love to hear from you. The hashtag is OTBAM. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream or, of course, you can tweet us at OffTheBallAM and we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, tune in to Off The Ball every night this week where thanks to Sport Ireland Campus... We have daily prizes of €200 vouchers that can be used towards membership at their elite gym facility and pitch rentals for your team, kids' sports academies and camps, or a family visit to Aquazone Water Park. Plus, it's an amazing overall prize of a €1,000 voucher, a money can't buy behind-the-scenes tour and a sports team fitness testing session by an experienced strength and conditioning coach. So a raft of great prizes available if you just tune in to Off The Ball every day this week. It's always thanks to Sport Campus, Sport Ireland Campus. It's always thanks to Sport Ireland Campus, the home of Irish sport from beginners to high performance and everyone in between. Here we go. Welcome, Derek McNamara. How are you? Yeah, very good. Um, how are you? So you, you were with us last talking about La Rochelle and Ireland. And so you've been crunching the numbers on New Zealand 42, Ireland 19. Mm. Wasn't that different? Was it, were there, was there any similarities? Is, is there a trend developing in Irish rugby <laughs> that like, there's Irish one way? teams losing. Well, you know, <laughs> can we, can we get one of these after we win? That would be, that would yeah, be good. Yeah, that's probably a good, good thing to do. Yeah. But I think, look, it's hard. It's the, the, the games that they've played the last little while have all been top games. <laughs> it's New Zealand in New Zealand. So it's, uh, yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get one soon, I think. <laughs> um, is your data predictive? You know, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. did you expect what you saw at the weekend, or did you think something different was going to happen? So, international sport is is always harder because it's kind of much more unpredictable because you don't really have the information behind it. Because you know, when's the last time New Zealand played? And also, the yeah. team selection can can vary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it's. I think tradition and history is probably something you go off when you think of something like this. And, you know, first first All Blacks game in New Zealand in what, two and a half years or something in front of crowds. So it was it was always going to be a difficult game, you know. But, you know, when, when, when you break it down, like we're, we're going to probably look at three items, if that's okay. So we'll look at the kind of speed onto the ball, which is something that we're kind of looking at as a metric to see if we can measure um, balls the Irish team coming out to the ball so we put a graphic up yeah. here so oh, for yeah. our, our radio listeners and the podcast listeners what does the graphic say the graphic basically uh, we're looking at uh, the top line shows the speed onto the ball from Ireland basically in the, the first half and then the second half the line and then the bottom one shows the number of activities that are happening in this game so you can see like right in the middle of the first half we hit our peak where we're coming onto the ball so every time the player comes onto the ball we, we give them a score and then we aggregate that score to show, basically, and you can see the you know at the end of the first half, 
there's a significant drop off in the the speed onto the ball, and that's because there's a bit of uh, what would you say um, worry in the camp. There's probably a bit, you know, what do we do now? We've just conceded 28 points in the spin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then if, if we look at New Zealand, then we have a similar graph, but for New Zealand, and uh, you'll see that we're just going to cycle on to the next one there. Yeah. No, we don't have. We don't. We don't oh, have. Yeah. There. Yeah. there you go. <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah, there so is, there, yeah. 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 So you can see New Zealand. They they basically didn't have the ball at all until Sexton got, or in the, the right in the middle of the first half, and but when they did get the ball at the end of the first half, they were able to turn on the Jets, and that's just something I think uh, Ronan Agar mentioned last week about putting them under under pressure and cutting out that space and that's that's exactly what, what we need to do in the next game if, if we're going to stop it so we, we need to continue to, to slow down New Zealand getting the ball and that's trusting your defensive lines because you know Sexton would be considered a really good attacking player but he also commands the team in defence as well so when he, somebody like him comes off we need to be able to have a much better plan to, in place to, to continue doing what we were doing at the start of the first half Okay, so our reliance on Sexton is actually not uh, uh, simply an attacking reliance, it's also a defensive reliance. Well, every, every player on the pitch is, but yeah, big time. Yeah, especially, especially somebody who's so vocal. You know, you, you can hear him on the pitch talking to people, making sure everybody knows where everybody is supposed to go. So it's something that's probably not even thought about. But you've got Carberry coming in, who's somebody who's probably not nearly as... Um, vocal in his approach and probably takes him a little bit of time he wasn't expecting to come on that early and there he is in front of New Zealand in his in front of his, his home crowd I, I think he you know and it was it was a difficult game really really difficult game because you know losing your, your your best player basically like we were we were 5-7 up and then you find yourself what is it 21 points down after after 4 minutes so it's it's uh, but like look it's it's the first test you know there are learnings, huge learnings. Like Ireland actually played really, really well. I thought, you know, really, really well. There were you know very few mental errors. A couple of players gave away a few too many penalties. So you know that's becoming a recurring thing for Irish teams. One or two players, specific individuals, specific individuals. Yeah, yeah. Who, who is it? Um, well, Porter would be the guy that I'd be looking at to at scrum time or outside of scrum all over okay. especially at the breakdown okay. he's he could have got pinged once or twice so it's funny when you hear people talking about the referees after after the game but it's <laughs> there was no more or fewer issues in this game than there is in any other game okay that's interesting because yeah. I, I think because rugby is so chaotic and like uh, you know if you remember the um, the thing about the Razzie video was that it, it, yeah. it leaked right like um, and so they're all doing these videos we know they've been doing these videos for years because Joe Schmidt used to sell it and tell us that he was doing them um, at the time and if you're not doing them that's fine but that, like the notion that that leaked accidentally whatever you have to take Razzie at his word for that and he's having a great time drinking his beers and on more videos yeah. uh, but I think the point was that like most people would make the, the case that a lot of what he was saying apart from the, the respect for the captain but a lot of the legal stuff that he's saying is correct because mm. literally in a rugby match there are thousands and thousands of incidents where mm. every single individual at one point can be in the wrong position like and can be illegal so mm. you can stop the video at any point and go he's illegal he's illegal he's illegal he's illegal he's illegal this is illegal mm. what do you do do you stop every single incident and the game becomes a four and a half hour game yeah. or do you just make an accommodation that there's going to be an ebb and flow in this and you hope that you come out the right side of it well I think there there are like if you were just to take this game and it's it's like totality this this game was the 
most amount of activities in the entire game that I've done. So it was by far the highest tempo of a game. So usually you'd have around 2,000 players' interactions in the game. Carries, passes, kicks, things like that. Um, But in this game, there was 3,000. So when you've got the the coach, the refereeing staff have to be on their game, the players have to be on their game, everybody, it's really, really important. So when Rasmussen gets pissed off about something... You know, he 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 vents like that and he makes this video, but, like, he, there is no... I, I don't know that game. I, did, I wasn't analysing using the way we analyse it, but we, we look at referee um, instances. So you're usually around the breakdown, the result, like, resulting foul play that they may have missed. But compared to any of the other games, there's no difference. There's okay. no difference. The, the 3,000 activities versus mm. 2,000 activities, what's behind that? Is, it, is that the ball in play? Is it yeah, the styles two, of both teams? Yeah, yeah, two teams want them to play. Like, and, but it's really, really hard. Like the likes of uh, Ireland. So you could see when in, back in October or November when Ireland played New Zealand, the, the jadedness of the New Zealand team. You know, like they were, they were tired. Um, and it's the same with Ireland now this time around where, you know, they're, been playing all season long, and it's it's not necessarily that they um, they've played too much. I actually think it's probably because they've had a little bit of a break for a couple of weeks, and they haven't been playing. That that's why they're like this. You know, they were a little bit lethargic, you would think. But when you look at the actual tempo of the game and the number of activities and the the bodies putting on their line, amazing game, like really, really amazing game. It's it's just pity that they 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 drop their heads for maybe. 10 minutes maximum okay so they're not actually manifesting the signs of fatigue are they they're not showing those signs of fatigue no you can't play a game plan where you have 1600 activities in a game and be good at it you know like they but they, they it's again it's just about that those those 10 minutes that you're playing against the team that can score from everywhere and that's, that's kind of like the second point that I was just about to mention about Sexton and his HIA you know Um there needs to be more done because, like, if the teams are honest about this, it's not like obviously you've got the the health and the welfare of the players, but you got the health and welfare of the people that are sitting at home watching it and all these different things. We 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 will look, we will give a, a a tick box if we see a possible head trauma. So any time there's somebody's head knocked back or you see somebody getting up off the ground, we'll capture it. We don't know if it'll make any difference or not, but it's something we'll be able to bring to World Rugby and say, hey, this is something we've noticed. We can actually see this player's performance drop because of these three instances over a season that nobody else is really looking at. But it's also the impact that those players are having. So it's like Sexton, you got the hit at eight, 28 minutes and 35 seconds. He was down for 18 seconds. He then got up, got the ball uh, twenty-five, you know, 29 minutes. He then misses a loop pass from Keenan. The ball goes to ground. Uh, then he gets the pass again and he gives a bad pass to Ringrose who spills the ball who uh, that results in a try 80 metres opposite direction so after he gets hit he makes three or four small errors and then uh, I think it was Heffernan as well who got, got got a knock they came on assessed him on the pitch led him to play on and then he knocks the ball on like 30 seconds later and then they take him off so this whole idea of player welfare you gotta, you gotta be honest with it. You can't just, you know, oh, we're down to thirty-five players in the squad. We'll just leave them on. 
I don't. I don't think it's that they're they're leaving them on because they're down to thirty five players. I think it's that they're not quite sure of the impact. I think it's it's not from a position of yeah, yeah. of dishonesty. I would say. I would argue that it's actually like a it's um it's a learning situation that they're going through, and that's why stuff like this information is really interesting. That like mm. if you have had any kind of significant injury, and I, I would say it's not just a head injury. That like mm. if you if you've had some kind of judder or shudder or you, you've banged your shoulder and you stay on to try and you know gut it out for the team more than likely you're going to cost your team mm. and, and it's actually going to end up being the players who yeah. identify but that, you can't you can't drive that you can't you can't drive that from a player perspective you have to drive that from 100 development all the way up true true and i, I get that and I, I look that's a, a mm. I, we could actually do an hour-long thing about yeah. what what the um yeah. what the, sh- the share of the pie is it, you know the culture of the self-identifying player going actually I am lesser now than I should be and so if somebody runs past me it's definitely I'm not, better though I'm not going to 100% yeah. but equally like maybe the you know um, the argument in the first Mary game was that they didn't see the Jeremy Lukeman incident mm. until half time and then they saw it and they were like oh we didn't see that because we didn't see it so yeah, as you said there's 3,000 different activities going on mm. I don't know I don't know what the correct answer is maybe mm. some kind of AI where it's like 40 cameras one on each player and yeah. every time there's a, like a little there's a vibration Both. that goes off to yeah. one of the coaches and goes okay I need to check that video on 15 okay he's got to go mm. whatever that is so I think it's really interesting um, we actually just have a, a minute long video here this is mm. Mike Cass so Johnny Sexton has passed his HIAs here's that news that broke overnight actually Johnny's fit Johnny's passed every test that he needs to pass so from my point of view he's he's good to go he seems to be training He's good to go. He's good to go for Saturday. How much of a relief is that? I think he's he's a massive cog in there, but I think you know Joey came on and and, and did well. We got back up, and again, this is what touring's all about: is our ability to to adapt to to what gets thrown at us. And um, I think we've done that pretty well. So let's hope it um, it continues. You mentioned touring. You've played a lot against New Zealand. Been to New Zealand a number of times. What's what's the biggest eye opener or biggest challenge for some of these younger guys that have been here for now a couple of weeks? Well, they haven't taught before. <laughs> a lot of them, a lot of them haven't taught. So, so it is very different. Um, you know, they're away from home. It's 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 just relentless. You know, especially with the midweek games as well. Backing up, becoming tough, becoming resilient. And I think um, you know, being able to pick yourself up every single training session is is important because you don't have time. We don't have time to to feel sorry for ourselves or, or muck about. So from our point of view, it's being on it every single time, and that's being about professional. Right, that's my cat making the news public overnight that Johnny Sexton will be available for selection this weekend, and you've pinpointed the difference having Sexton and not having Sexton makes to the defensive structure of the team. So uh, that would actually make you relatively confident this game will be closer next weekend, or certainly Ireland have a chance of making it closer next weekend? Um if I'm totally honest as soon as I heard that I actually felt a bit sad like for John Sexton like I understand he still wants to play and he wants to play every single game but you know does he does he should he be there's, there's a big difference between you know him wanting to play and should he play but like anyway if if he's playing yeah like he obviously it gives us a better chance but you know if you look back through the games that he's played over the last six months he, he had a good he had a good stint there for a little while where he played a number of games in a row, but 
before that, you know, can you can you can you honestly think see where he played three games without getting injured? I mean, this is the big question about whether or not we should be actually just picking Carberry at the weekend. Any sense, and especially for the the World Cup coming up. The trouble is, right? I don't remember a long period of time where Joey Carberry has played a bunch of games in a row, yeah, really well. Either, but, but how many games has he played where you know he he also has had injury issues? Yeah. We need four out halves as opposed to having one and a bit out halves, which is what we have at the moment. So, um. Let's assume Sexton starts, right? Because yeah. that's that's that is what's going to happen. Um, what should we be looking out for in the next game from the, the rest of the team as well? Yeah, there, there's some really, really interesting things in the game. Um, one is actually just around the breakdown, kind of close to the breakdown. Ireland had a lot of success, you know, early on running onto the ball, you know, picking, driving, going off first, first, first receiver rather than you know at the back, and that was that was really. You know, they made a lot of good ground, um, very close to the uh, breakdown. Who's making those carries? Is that Van der Fleer, Henshaw, that kind of? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was there was a good few. Yeah, um, like quite a lot. Uh, even um, number six are uh, Peter Manny. Peter Manny. Yeah, yeah, as well. But um, one thing that I noticed there was the New Zealand uh, players were were kind of completing pa- tackles, so tackling players without the ball. So as soon as you make the pass. <clears throat> The New Zealand players would commit to the tackle and make the tackle, even though. And in, so there was like seventeen of these tackles. Like Ireland, we had seven uh, of the same instances. But it's just something to to be aware of because that that can be a negative and a positive thing. You know, if you're able to then get those players to bite, it means that there's there's gaps either side of them. Okay, yeah. So it's just something to be aware of that if you see that that reoccurring where the New Zealand players are making those tackles after the pass. They're, they're usually I didn't check but most of them are from forwards so I'd be looking at that as a, a way to, to just as something to keep on, keep an eye on um, I'd, I'd actually really like to see um, Doris come in for or Conan come in for Doris um, Doris hasn't really seen the heights that he's seen a couple of years ago um, and I'd like to see him come in um, and then also just the other thing about like New Zealand's goal line defence was immense like absolutely amazing you know four times holding the ball up over the over the try line or or call uh, you know try attempt you know you may not see one of them in three weeks of rugby so if Ireland can get themselves into the same situations if they can cut out the cut the, the speed down cut it cut the, the the defensive lines down try to implement a game plan similar to what they did um in 2018 when they beat them um, where they much more speed up and stop, you know, rather than uh, slow up uh, from a defensive perspective. So you, if you're kind of cutting out the space rather than, you know, protecting the individuals. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's 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 what I'd be trying to. That's what I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Okay, so none of that seems like it's undoable. So I, mm. I guess we we had a debate yesterday, myself and Owen, about um, glass half full, glass half empty. Mm. Uh, Owen's is half full, mine's half empty. I, I heard. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> if and it did feel like um, it felt like there were some fundamental issues, but maybe there aren't. Maybe this is um, you know it's basics that if you cut down on all of a sudden. A bit like the Kenny hurlers, you know, uh, you just up the work rate to a point where the opposition can't live with you, hmm. and after that, the game looks relatively easy. But it's actually not. The, the hard part is getting the work rate to the level where you're enforcing your game on the opposition. Exactly, exactly. But the problem is you're playing against 15 guys that are made of stone. <laughs> so when they're running into you over a certain period of time, that becomes harder to do when you've got 
significant injuries in your squad and you got your depth isn't as big so putting the bodies on the line as much this week it may not be possible so they may have to try and implement a game, different game plan I, I would imagine they might try and actually slow the game down so you'll see them well potentially see them slow in the, especially at the breakdown so in the, this game for instance you had both teams as soon as the ball went out for a line out for instance they were set the ball was in as quickly as possible so there, you know, the ball was in play for a lot longer. I didn't actually have, don't actually have that information here, but this this time round, I would I'd prefer to see Ireland play a little bit more like they did against Australia back in 2018, where you know they were they had like 700 activities in the game, so right. half of the amount of work rate that they had. But they were able to, you know, you could hear the commentators in that game giving out about it. But that's that's how you, you you can you can play a different game plan, and you know Ireland were top of their game 2018. They were able to play that really high tempo game and then when they wanted to they were able to slow things down and frustrate teams and, and keep possession or territory rather than possession Okay Owen you wanted to come in here? Derek I was just going to ask is, is it possible to sort of mix and match that sort of slow versus fast game plan from game to game like can they go into a World Cup and say if it is South Africa if it is France mm. we can have a game plan A or a game plan B or does the information suggest that actually they need to pick their plan and, and stick with it and have it figured out before the World Cup actually kicks off no 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 I, th- I think really good teams can do that yeah absolutely um, and I suppose that's the reason why the likes of England I, I think are going to really struggle because you can't just bring um everything you can't just hide what you do you know England would be saying oh we're going to peak for the World Cup but if they haven't learned any lessons or gotten better at certain types of game plans then you can't implement those game plans on a whim so Ireland I'd be yeah you know play as hard as you can play play as many players as you possibly can and and try and learn what, what players can play certain game plans and could it be a case where potentially a, a quicker style of play suits Leinster more than it would suit Ireland and the predominantly uh, Leinster-based Ireland team would actually be going between different styles of play from international rugby to, to provincial rugby? Well, you've got to play the what, what the players you have first. Yeah, so understand what type of players you have, what then your injuries, and then you've got to think about what the weather conditions are like. So this weekend in, in New Zealand, it's going to be indoors. So it's going to be fast, it's going to be quick. So... You know, I, I would expect Ireland, they won't go for the slow game plan. What they'll try and do is they'll try and implement a game plan like they did for against New Zealand in October or November here. And they'll play really, really wide, really, really quickly. And if they can do that and they can keep in New Zealand's half um, and cut their space down and, and be aggressive and do all those things and not make mistakes, not give away penalties, simple, you know, simple things, then yeah, they got a chance. But... I don't know. You're still playing against a New Zealand team that are incredibly excited to be playing at home again. Yeah, and in front of a, an audience for the first time in a couple of years, they, yeah. and also with a bit of revenge in their nostrils and uh, selection for the World Cup and a coaching ticket under pressure. So, you know, it, it's all kind of um, it, it. It was perfectly delicately boised, uh, poised until they hammered us last weekend. Yes. Um, the so, lineup we need to sort out as well. That's the one thing I, was, I, I forgot to say. Yeah, big time. How easy is that? Well, they're not com- competing at the front of the line out at all. So, if you wanted to, they're just jumping on four and six. So they're they're really really good at, in that middle to back part of the line out because they're able to scope, scope out, they're able to see what Ireland are doing 
and then just throw the player up. But if they're not competing at two, just go on two all day. That's Secure simple. the possession and try and work from there. And so You can still go off the top from two. You can small from two. You can do everything. There's no real, real difference at this level between a passer pass and the ball. So obviously New Zealand know that, right? New Zealand know that they didn't last week um, compete at the front. This yeah. week they could do something completely different, right? Yeah, that's yeah, the, absolutely. This is yeah. the double bluff that happens. But I think that's, that's something that, that's kind of... I, we need to bring into the game more, which is reactional, situational. So you'll see the the lineout, the the players in the lineout. They'll make a call. They go to the lineout and they'll fulfil that lineout nearly all the time. As opposed to being able to audible. going in and audible it and go, okay, look, they haven't. There's nobody. There's the, the, there's got two props at the front of the lineout. Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that's something that we need to 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 start seeing that's more that's the type of thing that you hope evolves over the course of a tour like this where they at the end of the tour they go we didn't do that we need to introduce this or ideally yeah. this week they're sitting at that going okay when that happens when you see what you see yeah. play the picture in front of you as opposed to yeah um, I think, yeah like I, I, yeah I think like school the schools teams do this you know it's not it's not that but it's just it's at this level because you need everybody to be able to know what to do at the same time to be able to yeah Put those connections well, it also has together. To be perfect, because if yeah. there's a mistake, Sever Reese is uh, under the posts. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's the high wire. If you design a line out to work off that first read, second read, third read, like they do in, in in the NFL, for instance, then you know what to do if if something else happens. You know yeah. what I mean? But it's it's we're, we're a little bit away from that. But it's it's changing. It's changing. Okay. All right. So all in all, you're actually happier about Ireland's performance than, say, for example, I was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Stop being such a grouch. There you go. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, 40, 42 points. It's um, it just it had the bang of the World Cup off it. Yeah, the, yeah. The same, like, so if we hadn't made the mistakes that we made, the game would have been closer. If my granny, had, there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah. but we 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 always come. We come. I remember the game where um, Keith Wood was playing, and we were fourteen seven up, and. Yeah. Well, Ashton was the manager and they annihilated us in the second half it was 40 something something in the teens yeah. like it's just it was a stereotypical like we've seen this movie before we play really well for a little while New Zealand look at what we're doing and then feast off our mistakes yeah. but we continue to make the mistakes but see the, the, the mistakes are magnified by New Zealand yeah. yeah 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 so you've so, got to be perfect yeah but yeah. The, these guys have landed 10 days ago they're still jet lagged they're still, but like this could happen again even more. You know, we could we could get beaten by fifty points this weekend and still play well. It's it's not a, it's not. I don't think it's necessarily about winning in these in these. Um, like I, I would much prefer to see us putting in start. Like I don't, I don't think Sexton should start. I think Carberry should start. I think if Sexton, if we're if we're not going to be able to get eighty minutes out of Sexton. Then we we bring him when we're getting like I think we mentioned before about uh, Leinster being like falling off the cliff kind of in the second half yeah, from so a quality maybe, perspective. Maybe bring Sexton off the bench. Maybe you bring him in while that's happening to give everybody around him that that sense of uh, focus. And and that's you know like it's like uh, Jim Gavin you know he he brought on his best team midway through the second half. You know and they weren't necessarily the best players right now but they were they were leaders and they were you know Able they made the right the decision yeah, yeah 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 so maybe that's that's the evolution of what we try and do but okay so your point is that the, the the process is more important here than mm. the outcome because the outcome is only important at the World Cup yeah yeah 
Yeah. Well, is that fair? Yeah. Like it, these games are, they mean nothing. They really don't mean anything. You know, Six Nations means something because you can win it. Um, the you know we, we should be, I suppose, <laughs> if we're thinking about this, uh, we probably don't want to poke the bear <laughs> before the World Cup next year. So, like. You know, if we're going to play in the World Cup. New Zealand, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where, yeah. Where Ali and the Rumble in the Jungle exactly. in the first few rounds were just just like... Yeah, yeah toying with them. Yeah, all right. All right, Derek, good stuff. <laughs> 13 minutes past eight, uh, OTVAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. We're delighted to announce that Brayburn Coffee is now the official coffee partner here of OTB every week. We're giving one lucky viewer a €100 Euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out Add Off The Ball on Twitter. Just like and retweet our Brayburn competition post and you'll be in the draw. Brayburn Coffee is Apple Green's new premium coffee brand that offers customers the best coffee experience on the road. It's available now at 30 locations nationwide. After the break, we're live with the Clare Hurling Manager, former Kilkenny goalkeeper, David Herity. Stay tuned. OTB AM. Right, it's 15 minutes past eight. Owen, you're still there? I am indeed. How are things? Yeah, any, any hobnobbing that you've been doing in the last five minutes? No, not really. Just tried to, to get inside to my kind of like Amsterdam-esque booth here to, to try and, you know, uh, seal myself off behind this curtain and uh, chat to you there in studio. What? Your eyes are moving frantically as uh, like, what? if I were ready. <laughs> What's the reference you're making there, Owen? <laughs> I don't know. You're, uh, you're, don't, you're Roxanne, are you? Is that what it is? Yes. Yes, exactly. That, okay. That's exactly it. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad somebody's finally put you in your place about the, the grouchiness of yesterday morning. Well, the Monday morning look, quarterback sort of view on on life is is never positive from from your standpoint. That's not true. That's not true. I mean, I'm 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 uh, much more often the glass half full person around around these parts. It just did feel like well, I don't know. I mean, you were in Japan. I was in Japan. It just felt a little bit like oh, here we go again. Big game where we've talked ourselves into a big game. We've picked our full team and we get spanked. And it's like no, actually, you know what? There's lots to be positive about this. I'm just you know, fool me once. Shame on me. Well, whatever. You ain't going to fool me again. That's basically, I feel a little bit George Bush here. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like I like the, the sex and his impact sub shout. I think that's a, a possible avenue worth exploring over the next little while. I mean, we've been making that shout for about five years. <laughs> Turns out we need him on the pitch. 16 minutes past eight this morning. Let's turn our attention back to uh, Hurling. I'm delighted to say David Herity is with us. David, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Great, and yourself, Joe? How are yeah, you? Yeah, pretty good. The, um, the game at the weekend and the build-up, I hadn't a clue what was going to happen. And then 15 minutes in, you're like, whoa, we've seen this movie before. It turns out Kilkenny are right on it, Claire a little bit off it. What was your expectation heading into the game? Were you in any way surprised by how good Kilkenny were slash how poor Claire were? I was surprised how poor Claire um, was on Saturday. If I think if Kilkenny had played the tactics that Claire played with that long ball, um, I think the pitchforks would have been out. Um, I was very surprised with just I knew kind of the four weeks coming into to a, an Ireland semi-final like that the, Brian and, and the management team a lot of the players there the older players that are still there they'd be able to get that right your, your four weeks in gives everyone a chance to get back into the team into the 26 and it's a bit of a buzz if you're talking to any of the players everyone's excited about it because it's an Ireland semi-final but then everyone's excited because they think they, have, they feel they have a chance when you're in the round robin even kind of when we were back in 2013 and you're, you you go through the back door, it's week on, week off. You get maybe 20 minutes, you know, on a Tuesday night, but you know that's not really going to be the deciding factor whether you play or not. You know, Brian's made up his mind. Whereas all of a sudden now you have three weeks, you have consecutive training sessions together and you have a great chance. It gives a great buzz. So the fact that um, 
I, I just was very impressed with just the way Kenny kind of played. They, the even from puck outs there, the way that they worked the ball out, they weren't going the usual corner back straight down the line, where you probably only win three out of ten. They, they were playing it back inside. You Lawler uh, was was getting unusual on the ball. Uh, Paddy Deegan, they just were spraying the ball around. They just they had they had Claire all over the place, and and Claire couldn't match them in in any capacity whatsoever. I felt like any to win the game, they had to get two goals. I thought Clare would probably run up about 27, po- 27 points myself, but in the end, they just, Jesus, those wides, those 24 wides just killed them. Yeah, um, like, maybe maybe you have played on teams that have hit those wides, but the, the deflation that happens when that occurs, particularly in a big match like that, where the crowd are looking at it and you can hear the groans and take a half stadium, half full stadium like Croker they kind of have a, a heightened impact as well. So once that starts to happen, it's very hard for a team to get back into it. Yeah, I was gonna, I always going to look at the goalkeeper anyway and just see kind of how his reaction is. And uh, I don't think I've ever seen Owen Murphy as as confident and as composed in the game. Even when the balls are going wide, he wasn't shouting at anyone to kind of give an out. And, and you know, as sometimes the keepers do when so many shots are going off, he was he was just casually going over, getting the ball. He was taking about 10, maybe 12 seconds on each puck out and just relaxing with the whole thing. And it just kind of showed that they were under absolutely no pressure. He never felt under pressure at any stage in the game. Even the balls that were dropping in around the square, it never, he, he never felt like uh, you know he needed to do anything spectacular to try and get the ball back in play. I just thought he was... Uh, he's always composed. But just in that game, it kind of... For me, I knew Clare weren't going to make any sort of a comeback. And I just saw how uh, how confident he was and on, on, on how the play was going on. What happens now in the build-up to the final? Like, it's a, it's obviously a shortened build-up to the final. Uh, it's two weeks, so whatever about the the four weeks being perfect, is there still room for some people to force their way into the twenty-six? Will training, from a Kilkenny perspective, still be as exciting as it was for the last three weeks, four weeks? No, I don't think it is because two weeks. All of a sudden, now in the back of your head, you're kind of thinking, if I get one little knock here, like Conor Fogarty broke his thumb there a few weeks ago, he'll he'll probably look to get back into that twenty-six. But you're probably looking at they might have had a training session on Monday or a decent recovery session. The media night is Wednesday night. They get their suits Monday night as well, which is always a brilliant training session. Then you get the they given out to by Brian kind of to get focused back in again because there is that giddy mode. But they'll probably get a, some way of a, probably 20 minutes on Thursday night, a decent training session on maybe Saturday or Sunday morning, and then that's it. But lads are nervous. You know, the, whoever didn't make the 15 is going hell for letter, but whoever's on that 15 is probably 12 of those lads that are guaranteed a start in the final. They're nervous enough because they just don't want to lose out in the place at this stage. But that's it. You're probably looking at, you know, the one thing Brian is always very good at is if there's a 70-minute game, obviously, when you break it down and cut out the wides, the freeze, when you cut, cut out all the stoppages uh, and inter-catches, anything between 35 and 40 minutes that's the max that it, that it is so you're only looking at 17 maybe and a half minutes of, of a match either side he'll probably look to have one of those just so that he can actually say to the players look we gave you one last chance but uh, I think he has his mind made up exactly who he wants I thought it was fascinating who he brought on there the weekend as well I thought I expected possibly to see Richie Hogan make uh, an entrance but then I was thinking if Kenny were too far ahead he was probably saving that now, I don't know whether Richie will come on, but I think he might have. Uh, Killian Buckley didn't get any kind of a run there as well. I think it's there's still room for a few wild cards there from Brian in the final. Does Brian Cody become a different person in the build-up to an All Ireland final? 
I think he's he's heightened. Yeah, he's the, the he's looking around. I would have always kind of compared him to the the tower in Lord of the Rings. Um, that eye that's just watching over everything. He's not saying a whole <laughs> lot, but it's just constantly trying to see is there any bit of complacency going in anywhere around the field. Um, yeah, he, he'll go around to the different players that he wants. Anyone that he needs to um, give a slight bit of a kick to. I know, kind of in in uh, in 2014, I would have played the semi final against Limerick. Before that, he would have come up to me in Carton House and said, "You know, don't don't think for a second you're not going to be starting that semi final." Um, and then the semi final, I suppose there were a few hairy moments, and he came up to me the very next training session, and uh, you know we spoke about the few hairy moments, and then I I kind of confidently said. Uh, look, I'll get him right for the final. And he went, oh, no, wait, wait, wait a second now, now. There's two lads going for this position here now, so don't don't be, don't don't think you have this jersey yet. So straight away, that bit of complacency, he knocked it on the head. The very next training session, that was it. You know, it's, it's all up for grabs. I'm sure he gave that, that spiel on Monday night that absolutely anyone could start on the 15 and anyone get into 26 and even the five that could come on on any given day or in the final now, that's completely up for grabs. Uh, pardon my ignorance, did you start the final? didn't start the final no he knew in his head no that was it Jesus that's harsh yeah well like that's look that that is that's Brian for you um, that's the way he is uh, I know like in 11 and 12 I would have started both finals we won both finals and the very uh, first training session for t- the 2013 season he brought me into the medical room and, and along with Martin Forty and just told me change happens uh, I told me McGarry thought he'd longer and PJ Ryan got in and change happens and PJ thought he had more years and you came in and change happens so that was the very first training session so I actually didn't cop on what he meant um, obviously after a few league matches <laughs> you were like oh yeah that's good I'm looking forward to this change what's my part in this because <laughs> I remember going down and kind of I was down in Langton's and I was mimicking him and exactly what he says and uh, so a few of the lads and they weren't laughing, but I was laughing. But uh, two months later, I suppose I wasn't. <laughs> he knew himself. He, he knows. He's like uh, he knows that. I, look, he gave me he gave me a chance. I, uh, it just so happened I got injured before the final anyway. But I'm sure he is quite ruthless. He knows. Uh, I was interested in there the last few weeks in the run up to the the Clare game. I asked him how the A versus B games are going on. Just a few of the lads you might see around the place. And they said that there's not too many A versus B games going on. And, and you know, when that's happening, then, well, it's either two things are happening. He's either trying to keep everyone on their toes or else he knows the team coming into this match and he doesn't want the B team beating the A team because then that throws everything up in the air. Um, that, that has happened a few times down through the years. Um, and then that kind of just, the confidence goes completely in the A team then if you have a B team beating you. So, um, yeah, I, I'd imagine he'll still keep it fairly... Uh, mixed for the week ahead and then try and just uh, then he'll announce his team but I'm pretty sure he has a team uh, picked in his head already So did, did that Kilkenny four in a row team actually lose to the B Kilkenny team? In 2013 and 2014 in 13 we weren't going well but in 2014 when there was massive change I know there was a B team one uh, before we started that Leinster Championship I was on it, Captain Lester Ryan was on it, Tommy Welch was on it, Taggy was on it, Henry was on it, Michael Rice was on it, Joey Holden would have been on it. Good team. Um, that was, yeah, that was the B team and we bet them two seven to nine points um, and we were absolutely buzzing after it. The B team were absolutely buzzing. They started texting each other then after the match. Um, not that to be kind of, you know, it was just kind of a real, 
sometimes you know when you're not in you're not in at all but a, a victory like that in the in a B game like that where you're kind of going when he, he sometimes when you are put to the side and you see players put to the side um you know, when they start coming out and they win a game like that, it, it just gives them fierce adrenaline to kind of go, well, look, at things aren't going wrong. It's just, Maybe it's not all me. You know, it's not in your head. Like So they're great opportunities. But having said that, it was a pretty impressive B-team, right? And when that happens, right, is there is there a meeting afterwards? Does the A-team have to come out and, and talk publicly? Or is it all quiet, knuckle down and make sure that it doesn't no. happen again? No, no one says anything like that because no one ever says it's a neighbor's B-team. But you, everyone knows it's an A versus B team. But he's not going to come out and go, how do the B's you know, beat the A? You just know that, how you know it's the A versus B team is he'll go with the team that's the A team and then Martin Fogarty or whoever it is, Derek Ling, <laughs> might go with the B team. And, and That's a bit obvious, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, but I suppose he'll argue that, look, I have to go with one of the teams and that's this. And, uh, yeah. But you know, you know exactly who's played well, who's probably played the league final that year who might have played the first round, there might have been a bit of a gap there. Um, but again, again, that, that that panel, a bit like the panel there that's there with Kilkenny at the moment, it's extremely competitive. If you look at the five lads that came on the last day, but then I said Killian Buckley didn't come on, I think Conor Forward will be back the next day. Um, Richie Hogan, I still think, is is, is there. He's Apparently he was flying it in training until uh, Mikey Butler was put on him one night and then that kind of stopped. So, uh, you kind of had a feeling then that that Mikey was going to be given that job for Tony Kelly there the weekend. It'd be a hell of a, a story arc, wouldn't it, if, if Richie Hogan was to play a part in an All Ireland final win for Kilkenny this year after what happened in nineteen. It would, yeah. It, similar enough to to Brian's arc, I suppose as well. That you kind of, uh, you know, I think there's a great quote there from Dark, the Dark Knight Rises uh, from Harvey Dent that you either die a hero or you stay around long enough to become the villain. Or else, if you stay even longer again, you become the hero again. <laughs> so you could argue that, which was, you know, in, in Brian's kind of the way things have gone with Brian and, and the public and the Kenny public. Also, Richie Hogan, I suppose he's he's been incredible. He was never a villain, but I suppose he fell out of sorts the last couple of years. But he seems to be buzzing. The injuries seem to be, you know, under control at the moment. And it would be incredible that if he did come on, because I know he was disappointed in 2019 when he got the red card. I suppose that kept him on in 2020 then and he had that one goal in the Leinster final but he still feels himself he has uh, he has something else that he can offer his team and it would be brilliant I, I do think that if Kikenny are under pressure that he'll come on and I do think they will be under pressure heading into the last 10 minutes Can I I see a lot of people saying oh it was all nonsense about Cody you know all the people saying that his time was up and all those comparisons that was all he's proved them wrong I mean, maybe he has proven wrong, but actually what's happened is he has clearly listened to or watched what has gone on in the rest of the game and has completely changed. So this isn't the same Brian Cody as it always was, or certainly his team is not playing the same way. And even within this year, there's been periods where this wasn't working. The style of play and the and the evolution of the style of play wasn't working, but they've stuck with it as opposed to just raining balls in on TJ Reid, hoping that he's going to bail them out. And so um, it's not the same Cody. It's a slightly different Cody. That is, you know, it is the, the way that they're playing at the moment. And again, the huge credit goes down to Connor Feeling as well, who's the trainer. But a huge, huge amount of credit, even just the backroom team. Again, I only found out there the last day. They have really changed up everything in the backroom team as well, between the opposition analysis as well, nutritionist who I hear is outstanding. You know, you've Mickey Comfort there, who's over the SNC as well. 
a lot of things, I suppose Mikey Butler's after going from water by to cornerback. Um, they've changed up a, a massive amount in the backroom team as well and, and he has really embraced the whole science side of things which I, I never thought he would. Like even back on, on performance analysis years ago he used to the twins we used to have Louise and Emma Byrne were there and we'd come into a, a management meeting and he'd click really quickly through all their presentation until he got onto hooks, uh, hooks uh, blocks and tackles and that was it so they'd have hours of work and data and reams of it and then he'd just go straight to the tackles page and just keep hitting that mouse key um, so you know now all of a sudden you have your kind of GPS you've, you've everything I suppose you had to go at the times but I just never thought he would. Um, it's it's obviously been forced on him. But the way that they played there last Saturday again, you know, starting off from the the, the puckers, like I mentioned, it wasn't just a simple ball um, to you, Lawler, and then that's it. It's just driven left or right. It's it's given out to Tommy Welch. Tommy Welch is now cutting inside. He's not running down a dark alleyway down the line and then just driving straight down on Cody's throat. He's coming back in field there. We can give the ball to Richie Reid. Like if you look at the, the possessions from the likes of even Mikey Butler, who was was man Mark and Tony Kelly and Hugh Lawler, they had 26 between them. And you're out to Richie Reid who had 24 possessions. These lads are, uh, you know, they're playing the ball in to a level there, to the, to the clearance zone level there, between the 45 and 65, and then they're able to spray it across the field. They're obviously listening to to how the the game has to be played, the ball that has to go in, that type of ball that has to go in. Um, you know, Adrian Mullen again out midfield, they're playing the ball through the lines and then they're giving that low ball inside and giving uh, the inside forward. It's a brilliant opportunity. Having said that again, they still have that they have Wally Welch that's coming on there catching the ball, TJ Reid who's still phenomenal in the air. They still have these lads if they want to go route one. So they they have a nice mix now at the moment. Going went route one several times and obviously the goal comes off it at the start of the second half but notwithstanding the fact that the goal gives such a surge of adrenaline to, to go away and it gets them back level for the first time in 35 minutes uh, they kept playing the long ball in and you'd say for the rest of the game actually Limerick dealt with it relatively well um, there were still some opportunities and there were still some points come off it so I would say Galway and Limerick broke even in the full back line with the with the long ball and maybe the stats would, would prove that actually Limerick ended up winning that um, yet if, if if Kilkenny were to do that a couple of times and a couple of goals come off it the importance the electrifying aspect of that on the team and the crowd probably makes it worthwhile so you think for the final we should see a mix of the ball going through the lines as you said and let those players who are playing really well run the game but also play the lottery buy a few tickets yeah, no, they have to, and and they need to hit root one ball. Like obviously, it is. It's all about trying to to, to mix the match. Like if you think back in 2019, the Colin Fenley goal came off an own uh, own Murphy long pocket. It was one of the longest pockets I've ever seen. And Croker bounced inside the 20, bounced just outside the 21. And Colin went in and took on the full back and and buried it. Like so, it, they have to go rule one. Kilkenny need goals to win this. They're not going to uh, win a point shootout against Limerick. I, I don't think so. I think I think this is the one area where Limerick fall down. They've only got six goals this year. Kilkenny are up. Uh, they're geez, well, they're 16 goals so far this year in, in between the Leinster and the All-Ireland series. So they can score goals. They're hungry for it. I think that's what has defined Kilkenny teams down through the years is the fact that they're able to get goals 
the other teams, opposition, I don't think I don't think Galway teams are as ruthless. I don't think Limerick certainly weren't. They won an All-Ireland a few years ago without scoring a goal. It doesn't seem to be the number one on their priority list. You see Gerard Hegarty created the only chance there last day in the corner. Jack Grealish saved it. So I think I think they'll still probably knock up about 27 points, but I think Kilkenny will will need those two goals and they'll need to go along at times inside to own Cody or Mossy Cohn seems to. I know we might be playing the best, but he's still managing to, to bang in about five goals in this year's championship. Um, I think they need to go route one at, at different points then as well and try and test out this uh, the full back line. The, the, the concern, I guess, then on that, David, is just that Limerick have shown last year that they have that ability to turn on the goals when it really matters. I don't think they'd scored three goals at any point during the championship last season until that final against Cork, that when the occasion is at its biggest, they just have this ability to blow a team away. Yeah, I, I'd yeah, I'd also just think that all Murphy's all, is is in the form of his life. That full back leg from Kilkenny is in the form of its life as well. And I just cannot, you know, again, if you look at last year, it was complete malfunction from Cork in the final where they, you know, they just didn't know who was marking who and they were handing over players. Yeah, I, I just, I can't see that that level of running straight through like what happened there last year. Kyle Hayes just running straight through a Kilkenny defence. The brilliant thing about a Kilkenny defence is that if Kyle Hayes is running through, the full back instantly goes, the cornerback covers in the half back, the left back covers back to the cornerback. Everyone covers back. Like for years, you know, you listen to the Sunday game and everyone's talking about, you know, they, they, they'd highlight maybe on Larkin or Michael Fenley and they'd go, look at Larkin and Michael Fenley, they're dropping back and they're trying to claim that this is our tactics. The simple thing was, if the ball goes into the full back line, the, the half back line straight away, you should know that you're, you're heightened expectation there that there's danger on so you leave your man which means the midfielder needs to now cover the the half back line or the half forward line and the half forward they have to come out to midfield so you're in you're just straight away you're dropping back that's just what happens that's work rate for you and again if the if the goal doesn't come off you can build it through the lines and you can the lads will get back up the field but that that happens straight away if you look at and not to slag other counties but I think there's a lot of Mayfane goes on in some of the counties when you're watching them that if the corner forward is running in he's after turning the corner back and he's running in the full back will stay in his man and he'll just go straight in the corner forward will just go in and bury it and it's kind of a case in the full back going well my man didn't score there's a bit of that going on that's never the case in, in Kilkenny at all they'll make sure that if they see danger some go back and they'll always trust that another back is, is back covering their man that's really interesting because you always hear kept the man scoreless kept the man scoreless and that's the way that it's become kind of how uh, GA analysis is, is spoken of whereas actually uh, did the defence concede is a far more important and relevant question if, if you go straight after geez, did your man score then, you know that gets, gets inside the full back's head and going well no he, you know he, sorry he he did score or he didn't score but then you're like yeah but that's because you headed off and I've seen it geez, uh, I just see it in a lot of counties it's the one thing I'd look for in there's two things actually I'd look at when a team is behind uh, first of all do the forwards start popping balls over the bar if they're about eight points behind there's a few minutes left they obviously need goals and you have some lad who starts thinking about their all-star then and starts popping over his point and another point the free taker comes up and he adds another one to the list there so it's another one to his name or does he actually have a crack at it does he actually have a go at it and go right you know, he, he, a bit like even the Tipperary minor there the weekend, the sub would come on like he lost a lovely ball in. 
you just expect on a different day and you've seen counties that come in, your man goes for the, you know, he pretends that he's going for this absolute top corner and hits it over the bar by about a foot. And you're kind of going, you're a bit of a fraud there. Now, we all kind of know that you just want that point beside your name. But it's a bit then like the backs as well. If you get, if you get, if, if you have it in your head that I just don't want my man to score, well then you're kind of well then you're not a team player. If that's what's in your head every single day that my man doesn't score, well then you're not going to do anything. If, the, if if that's what you gauge your good performance off, you're not going to help your corner back or a half back outside you. You're not going to come in and cover. And and again, you'll see it. You, you see it in the Munster Championship uh, a huge amount there. Just I have in in the last few years there where. You know, like if you look back at any of those Kyle Hayes, how the hell can he come running in from about 60 yards out or coming in from the sideline and no one hits him at all? It's either two things. It's either poor communication from the goalkeeper where he's not telling the full back to go and then the cornerback to cover where he's not giving that double communication or else you just have very selfish backs. Right. That That is really interesting because like... Um we, we, we'll obviously see now this week or in two weeks exactly what the the Kilkenny response is when Kyle Hayes does come galloping through because it, it's sure as night follows day after his performance in the semi-final they're going to try that early and often um, look we, we're nearly out of time so we might get you on before the final to, to preview the final in a bit more detail about how the matchups work but instinctively at the moment are you seeing a Kilkenny win when you're visualising what happens? I can't see a vi- I, I think in every aspect Limerick are better um, but I cannot see a Kilkenny loss. Right. I just think, like you spoke about that arc that you're talking I just think it's actually set up for a Kilkenny win. Right. Well, book it in. We're going to get to on next week again when we have a bit more time to go through exactly how the matchups work because that was just really fascinating to hear exactly what the, the aftermath is going to be like and, and those training sessions as well. David, always great to have you on the show. Thanks a million for making the time for us this morning. Thanks, Jerry. All the best. It's uh, brilliant stuff from um, David Herdy and it's coming through in the comments there as well I'm just going to read this top one here if I can scroll down uh, Jesus those A versus B games I'd say are tough going I see Tommy Walsh definitely believes the players are in Kilkenny but it's Limerick they're up against intriguing stuff to be honest looking forward to it and Dennis Ryan says Herity is great OTB really do source brilliant guests fair play well um, he's just he's been brilliant every time we've had him on I think himself and Tommy made their debuts on OTB around the same time as well with great stories about the end of the Cody era which is one of those things that we play on OTB Sports Radio sporadically so you should uh, dig it out and actually in the build up to the all and final we might re-float it on our uh, OTB GA feed right tune in to the Off the Ball sorry tune in to Off the Ball every day this week where thanks to Sport Ireland Campus we have daily prizes of 200 euro vouchers that can be used towards membership at their elite gym facility and pitch rentals for your team kids sports academies and, and camps or a family visit to Aquazone Water Park Plus, there's an amazing overall prize of a thousand euro voucher, a money can't buy behind the scenes tour, and a sports team fitness session by an experienced strength and conditioning coach. It's all with thanks to Sport Ireland Campus, the home of Irish sport from beginners to high performance and everyone in between. Here we go. John Duggan, good morning to you. Joe, how are you? I'm very well. Hello. Um, hey, John. So, do uh, you want to talk about the Pro Am? I can talk about everything. Um, yeah, the pro am. Yeah, the McDowell stuff is interesting. On the back pages. Uh, what does he expect? You know, um, what does he expect? He wants sympathy. Um, He's looking for sympathy from everybody because you make um, your bed in life and you lie in your bed. People have been nasty to him on social media. And uh, in fairness, he says, "I've I've made this decision for money." He's he's actually well, he finally said it because you didn't it. say that initially. No, he didn't. He said it was about growing the game and the team aspect. Yeah, and, and the excitement of the new format and all that kind of thing. No, it's about. 
to Filthy Lucre. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I think the pro, like, what I really think has been really good about the Pro-Am has been um, just, just seeing, like, the associated acts around the Pro-Am with Scotty Scheffler playing Bally Bunyan and Justin Thomas playing Tralee and Jordan Speeds playing La Hinch. How brilliant is that for Irish tourism and Irish golf? And uh, that is fantastic that aspect of it but I do think the, the fracturing of the game um, is the big cloud over this because uh, in the next few years if Greg Norman who seems absolutely hell bent on you know this relentlessness to his uh, agenda um, how many times are we going to see the top players in the world competing against each other maybe four times a year at majors and once every five years the JB McManus Pro-Am because that's the way it's going at the moment um, the world ranking points is crucial for that live like if the world ranking points is the key they should turn this into a tournament, right? Because it's like the get the. the well, I was looking at the leaderboards because the the whole thing for me about sport is that, um, and I've been kind of annoyed with golfers recently because golfers have been really um, the symbol of selfish human behaviour. Um, but I was interested in the leaderboard because you know you're talking, talking with the top names and Xander Schauffele, whatever eight under par, Shane Lowry playing well yesterday, Seamus Power playing well. Obviously, there's an exhibition element to it, but. Um, I was interested because of the depth of the field and the quality of the field. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's incredible that they put this together. Yeah, 11 of the top 12 in the world. An amazing golf course. I was down there a few years ago myself when they, when after Tom Fazio's rebuild. And obviously in five years' time, it'll be 2027. But, like, how many of these golfers will come back to Ireland again and again and again now to play Arling's courses? And, and once again, it's another example why... Um, we'd need to have the Irish Open at a Lynx course. Imagine if you had the Irish Open Lynx course, say, three weeks out from the Open. So imagine this week was, obviously, the Scottish Open. Imagine last week was the Irish Open. You have three weeks of Lynx golf before the Open Championship. It would be brilliant to see. So the way it works is that the club hosting it pays the European Tour yeah. money. They pay them a but fee. The European Tour have got all the money now coming from the PGA Tour. <laughs> there's, definitely, there's definitely a case for, maybe there's a case for a second tournament in Ireland and like you know you can see there being a tournament in a dare manner every year after the Ryder Cup and the, yeah. the, there's talk that there will be one some kind of European Open in the build up so they I remember the European Open the K Club yeah yeah and that, that essentially runs as a tester so that everybody on site knows and all the staff and volunteers know exactly what it's going to be like um, so that that I, you would suspect is coming um, th- there's a little part of me that actually thinks that this is not the worst thing in the world for golf that a load of players who we don't know about up to this point, are emerging as leaders. I'm trying to find the the bit earlier where um, one of the guys who hasn't qualified for the Scottish Open was saying that what should happen this week if the Rebels show up is that the rest of the players should refuse to play. Russell Knox, was it? It was somebody else. Um, no. It was um, a, a multi-barreled name. Um, Lorenzo Vera? Yeah, Lorenzo Vera, right. I was like... I literally had never heard of you two weeks ago, really. I'm not, I don't follow the ins and outs of the European Tour enough. I'm not betting on it enough to know, or at all, to see exactly what the crack is with, with him. But, like, he's my guy now. I'm cheering for him. I'm like, that would be amazing. He's, the, he's the Arthur Scargill of... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just puts his driver down and goes, I'm not playing. You're playing. You're stealing all the money from, from our pockets. You're trying to break our tour. Yeah. You're chatting away and chirping down at us. You're like big time and all of us golfers who without us there wouldn't have been tournaments in the past that you've won. And now we're not playing. What are you going to do? That would be amazing. It would be amazing. It would be amazing. I'm like, I'm, I'm fully signed up for that. <laughs> and these little factions and rows. And like, I don't know. I mean, the atmosphere at the Irish Open was unbelievable on the day of the Pro-Am. And it looked great at the weekend. So, 
maybe golf got away from itself when it just became the money fight, right? And now all of the greediest players are all playing together. And the rest of the world can kind of ignore them because the tournaments are rubbish and meaningless, have no history and no tradition. And it's very difficult to build an entirely new sport, 54-hole competition with no cut, no jeopardy, nothing for them to play for. We know they've all got rich this week. Like... It's soulless. It's utterly soulless. It's without meaning. It's not what life's about. Uh, sport to me is all about the fans and the customer. The customer uh, is the supporters and uh, the competition. And you're to, like, well, I was at Croke Park on Frickle County Clare and I'll be going to Dubs Kerry this weekend. These guys getting no money. Um, and it's all about soul. And you, you rip the soul out of something. That's why I'm so angry about this kind of thing. It's not a fact. It's not even about the Saudi thing because everybody is all water battery about other countries and, you know, other countries have got other issues. So it's not even about that necessarily. It's about the fact that it's just so soulless to just destroy the whole uh, concept of competition and sport and legacy and playing uh, for to, to try and win. And the money is just a byproduct of that. Yeah, like McDowell and everybody else does have uh, a valid point when they talk about the hypocrisy of the European tour who who, who brought the Saudis in, you know, um, uh, it's true. Like, and GMAC with his... Like uh, DP World uh, sponsor the European tour and, um, you know, was there not an issue with P&O and all that kind of thing? Um, like uh, GMAC is saying the Saudi Arabian links to 9-11 are tenuous. It's like, well... You know, I mean, the vast majority of the uh, people who perpetrated 9-11 were Saudi Arabian. Documents have recently been declassified, which suggests that there was consular support for at least a couple of um, the bombers in the uh, Los Angeles. And you're like, OK, I mean, I'm not drawing any specific lines here saying that it was a state run thing. But like, um, you know, the Bin Laden family originally a, a massive Saudi family. Like there's a massive geopolitical aspect to this because uh, golf in America is what it's, it's white. It's a golfer, though. It's white. It's corporate. It, there is a geopolitical the MBS um, and Biden and all that kind of thing. There's a strained relationship there at the moment. Um, it's interesting that a lot of these courses that are going to be showcasing have got for Trump courses. So there's a huge geopolitical aspect to this um, that can't be you know ignored, and it's bigger than golf. And that's why, like, I've never seen a sport being hijacked uh, like this. Um, whereas you know you might have a Formula One race in Saudi Arabia, you might have Saudi Arabia sponsoring a football club, but to actually take try to take over a sport. That's the uh, that's the thing that I'm concerned about. Yeah, really interesting to see exactly what comes with that. And uh, Claire, I'm sorry for your trouble. Yeah, yeah, 24 wides. Uh, it was just a bit like Meath Carey in 2001 when they just, uh, it was just one of those days you just knew this is going to be a very, very long evening as it was and uh, they just lost their heads. Like just constantly taking long range pot shots and, uh, and, and, and wides and it's interesting because Kenny were bombarding that full back line and they only got one goal but it could have been a lot more and uh, it would be Brian Cody's greatest achievement. And I've said here publicly, and I've said that I, I, I felt over the last few years that Kilkenny maybe needed a fresh voice and a bit of freshness. But if he does do it against Limerick, it'll be his greatest achievement because it really is the last box for Limerick to tick. Yeah, it's perfect for Limerick, though. Do you know? It's like, how do you get them up for another All-Ireland final? Well, that's it's it. Like, well. it's, it's 2019. It's the fact that they got caught. Um, they were asleep for the first half against Kilkenny. And, but it's, it's that... It, it's that the Kilkenny DNA is back, like the work rate, the the hook and the block and the you know the the intensity. It's uh, the, the the Mikey Carey, you know the the storylines there. The, the the DNA is back, and and uh, 
for Limerick to the champions to be facing Kilkenny. It, it, it is a fantastic storyline. And we've got three fantastic storylines now in the GA. We've got the Hurling storyline with Galway Derry storyline, the novelty and the freshness of that, and then the Dubs Kerry, which will always be so special as a, as a rivalry. And there's still tickets in sale for it. And obviously with cost of living and all that kind of thing, it's harder for people to travel. Um, but, you know, I was looking at Ticketmaster this morning and Dublin Kerry still tickets available, whereas I think three or four years ago that might not be the case. Oh, and I presume the Kerry Mafia are travelling in style? Yes, indeed. <laughs> Travelling in style. What, what does that look like in in your in your mind actually when you when you pose that question? Um, is it like they're they're equivalent to the Pope Mobile, whatever that is? Yes, just a large two story pitchforks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Lamps. That that that's it. That's it. Um, meet outside the Gresham for anybody who wants to join the the Kerry Mafia for one day only on Sunday to finally wrestle control from the evil empire. We haven't, oh. we haven't, uh, I haven't been in your head at all about this. I can't believe it. I've been missing the opportunity on a daily basis. The, the clock starts ticking now, ratchet up the tension. You're down amongst your people, kind of. <laughs> What's the feeling? Very nervous. It's a, it, this Sunday is like a, a crossroads for for this team, isn't it? For this for this Kerry team, if they lose on Sunday, like just picture that, picture that scene at the full time whistle, that Kerry team beaten. And then picture the scene of them victorious to full-time whistle. It feels like both of those outcomes are extremely significant. Like there's, there's no way you can paint a picture where a defeat isn't hugely damaging for Kerry in the long term. And also where a, a win wouldn't put them in as all-Ireland favourites to finally get over the line with this team. So no pressure, but it's what day is it? Tuesday? They're so it's arrogant, aren't they? Kerry people. It's so important. I, I, am, I am history this weekend, says Owen. The whole country. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to do with it. I might not even go. Carry your favourites. Sit at home. Carry your odds on. Or something. Owen, oh, like, who's the most interesting person you met down there? Good question. There's a lot of interesting people that I've met down here. Who was the most interesting? You know what? Like, I mean, do we do we play out Alan Hansen earlier? I Did think you? Alan Hansen's quite an interesting guy. I, he I tried to run like, away from you. We didn't even <laughs> talk to you. He was like literally running away from you. I was like, I was just like, just sit down, just for one more question. He wasn't running away; he was just like trying to stand up. And like when you stand up, you uh, you kind of say the interview's over. But I had more questions, and I, I find it fascinating that somebody can you know um, walk away from football and punditry and just you know stick to their word and not have that bug whatsoever because that's he just he, he kind of like faded into black, didn't he? Yeah. In terms of his um, public football life, so yeah, I, f- I find that interesting. I have I haven't really been um, uh, like uh, out in the course yesterday. Um, didn't really get out to kind of see. Um, go and meet Bill Murray. Come on, go on. Do you'll regret it for the rest of your life if you don't. Well, that, that is the ambition. That's the plan. We'll sort it out. What are you doing? Why are you talking to us? Go and meet Bill Murray. <laughs> I, I have I'm just a, a consummate professional. Have to you know, no. Have to sit here and, and chat to you guys. Look! Look at how much of a. Look at what Nathan did with Jordan Spieth. You just do the same with Bill Murray. Come well, on, you can do allowed. it. I wasn't allowed to do to, to do golfers. I was told, you know, golf you can do the golf and you can do, you know, the other stuff. That was my strict instruction. If you see if you see a man with a uh, with a uh, golf club, do not talk to that. You are not qualified. The kimono is open, Owen. That's good stuff. Yeah. Thank you very much. Right. Well, a reminder: OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're live in studio next with Irish tennis pro Jenny Claffey to chat Wimbledon. First, though, here's Nathan and Jordan Spieth. We've we've been teasing this, as they say, in the business for about uh, over an hour and a half now. This is at a dare manner yesterday. A modern day bromance, or possibly a romance. Well, Jordan, uh, it looked like you were having a very fun time out there today. Yeah. How was it? I've never seen anything like this. I, right. um, I had no idea it was, it was um, 
it was like this at all. We don't see crowds like that, but for majors or, or Ryder Cups. And um, that's pretty incredible to support and what JP's been able to do and made it um, what was already worth it, you know, even more so. Really, really, really neat. Um, fans were, I mean, just the spectacle was amazing. There's a lot of love for you in this country. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, there's a lot of love for everybody. There's, a, It's a great, um, maybe the best, some of the best sports fans in general, you know, in the world. And, uh, you know, they love their golf, obviously. Um, show up in just seas of people here. And it's pretty amazing halfway around the world to feel that kind of support. And um, whether, you know, ideally I can be back here in five years and, you know, maybe maybe it'll, it'll they'll still be just as respectful, but very much <laughs> more so for different. the other side. Yeah, yeah, might be a bit different. Yeah. I'd ask how your trip to Ireland was, but you've met the goats in La Hinge. You yeah. were drinking pints of Guinness at about 10 a.m. down in Tralee. You've been having a good time. Yeah, yeah, but that was like on the back nine already. Oh, well, that's so we had okay. already that's had most right. of a day already. So we don't, uh, you know, if you think about it, it was like midnight back at home, so it makes a little ah, more sense, right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I feel like I could justify. It's been it's been great. We were very much looking forward to this trip for a long time, and. Um, sad that, you know, sad to be heading out tomorrow, but um, a couple big weeks coming up. I was talking to Stuart Sink before about his trips to Ireland, and he always felt before Turnberry was such a crucial thing. I think he played La Hinch as well. How much of it was actually serious work as well of getting into that Lynx uh, I Just the playing part. I haven't done any practicing or anything over here, but uh, playing Lynx golf, you start, obviously, it's just so different the way the wind plays, how short it, it all plays into greens down downwind, and then you know how how many extra clubs you need to take and flight the ball and chip it and um, and very much judging like the grass types you know that's what's so different so I think it's very beneficial to having played a couple links rounds I'm glad we went and did that and now we play this beautiful place and then head over for some solid links in Scotland your wife's waiting for you the reason I was annoying you was you don't uh, understand our golf podcast has been accused of being a Jordan Spieth fan club oh good in Ireland and they're that's all great. meeting tomorrow up in Killian Castle can you give them a big hello yeah and say, sure Hi, thank you very much that's uh, that's incredible thanks for the support brilliant thank you Jordan you got it Oh yeah, very very meaningful from uh, Jordan Spieth. He's he he's going to remember that for the rest of his life. But Nathan certainly will. It's eight fifty five. Jenny Claffey is with us. Jenny, good morning. To you. How are you? Good, very well. Thanks for having me in here this morning. It's been a very interesting Wimbledon. Um, none of the pre tournament favourites from the women's perspective are still standing, with maybe the exception of Simone Halep. But I'm not sure if we expected her to to perform as well as she's performing at the moment. So. What the hell's going on? I oh, know it's a, an interesting event here on the women's side, especially like we all thought Svantec was going to going to take it home. Yeah, after her amazing uh, run this this year, and then she just didn't put that to, to form in, in Wimbledon it's kind of disappointing to see that but I think Jabor we mentioned her last week about her potential uh, and she's still on course for that um, looking at Halep I think that she could be it could be a Halep um, Jabor final that we'd be looking at on Saturday um, I'm Corne hammered Schwantek and then got beaten herself yeah, I think Corne really took it to Shontek and Shontek was having a pretty off day um, when she, they were playing. She said herself that she was confused tactically against Corne because Corne is a very tricky player. Right. She was just chipping the balls, like making it very difficult Shontek. For Shontek, she, Shontek didn't get into a rhythm at all in that match. Um, and then Corne has been there before. She she beat Serena Williams eight years ago in the exact same centre court, right. same, same round. Yeah. Um, so she's been there before. She knows how to play in those big uh, arenas. And Shontek just didn't even from the first round Shantek didn't look very impressive she never really found her form and it really showed then against Corne It does seem funny that um, players like Corne who can have that big win and then immediately becomes a crowd favourite because you know you're knocking out one of the favourites and then yeah. pff, straight out next round 
we see that a lot in tennis though you know that that they they make those big wins and then from there then are not able to emulate that success like they have that huge media attention and then from there it's just like a drop (laughs) yeah any reason for that I think when you're not the favourite so like if you're not one of the top players like you haven't played at that level for that you know you're not playing consistency at that level you're not she, like say looking at Corne, she hasn't been you know competing at, in the deeper end of the Grand Slam so she's not that experienced at right. that level so then uh, or else the, the the toll of it physically although she absolutely hammered Shondek so it couldn't have been that yeah. but she has a few injuries at this moment uh, Corne as well so you know you want to put it to that rather than her rising and falling because of nerves or etc Is it partly to do with the fact that you then are thrust into the spotlight and all of a sudden um the expectation becomes so great that you you carry this little bit of burden. I guess I'm, I'm trying to ask about the psychological nature of this whole thing because it does seem as if um, we're seeing players win sets, for example, against uh, you know uh, against Djokovic the other night, the Dutch guy who I hadn't heard of before. Yeah. Um, and McEnroe was making the point in commentary that oh we should like uh, beef up the money on the satellite tour if players can come and play like this, and then he collapsed the next two sets just after he'd won a set. It's like so quick to turn around from Cornet absolutely hammering Schwantek and then beating the next day and incapable of replicating it. And even within matches, we're seeing players incapable of replicating how well they are because all of a sudden there's like a, a psychological shift in what they're expected to do from the crowd and what they're expecting themselves to be capable of. Yeah, well, I definitely think that has a part to play in it. Of course, like the psycholo- psychology, like th- that Dutch player against Djokovic, it was like he, his, his in that moment would be thinking, "Oh my God, I could actually do something here. I may be able to Knock take it, to, yeah, yeah, take it to Djokovic." And then just like that, Djokovic though has that experience and that next gear he can go into to then you know put him back in his place very quickly. The same with Cornet, you know, the the psychological effect of she's beaten the number one seed. This could be her chance and then she comes up against another opposition who's that bit better maybe you know you want to look at it like that as opposed to it being the, the psychological collapse but there is an element of that completely in that that they're not in the moment then able to turn it around and, and emulate the, the play they have been doing let's say like the Dutch guy in the moment to be able to continue to play and push on but yeah I'd, I'd rather that they're being beaten by better players than you know suffering in the moment Angebert um, is the number three seed is that right? Yes. And she's the high seed left, obviously. And after that, the only person who's won this before... Or has Halep won it before? Yeah, Halep's won won it twice, yeah. So she's the only one who's won it. Yeah, so she's the only last Grand Slam winner left in the women's side of the draw. Which, you know, normally you'd be like, okay, shoe in for her. But actually, the way things have been going, it's like, well, she's got no chance now. (laughs) You just don't know what's going to happen on the women's side. In one way, it makes it exciting. And in another way, it's a bit, we're still looking for that star in the women's game, you know. But looking at it now, the last eight eight players we have, like you have Jabour, obviously, she's a standout on the bottom half. And then we have Halep on the top half. So I think, you know, we can't look past Jabour or Halep but then there are those other players there like um, those two German ladies who are playing today you know we've relatively unheard both of them are ranked around the top the 100 mark like you never would have seen that coming looking into Wimbledon at all if you said at the start of the two weeks would you see Schiantek out you wouldn't have thought that either so there's been a lot of upsets which can be exciting now but I do think the final two we're going to be looking at is Halep and Evjabur Right Owen You're going to be cheering Jabur on? Hmm I might, I might have to because you know, let bygones be bygones, and think that could have been me. So maybe we'll, I will be supporting her. It'd be great to see um, a player I played, I played against and beat, winning Wimbledon. Although quite bittersweet, to be honest. 
uh, like what's this whole experience been like for you because I, when we were chatting last week um, I guess I mean we, we weren't quite sure how far she would go into the tournament but I mean we're at the business end now and she's still alive is is this something that's bringing you joy or, or not? Yeah in one way yeah it is it's nice to see that you know because it's it's always nice to see she's playing a girl today as well Bushkova, um who I also played against uh, so it's cool to see two girls I've played against on tour only a couple of years ago in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon but yeah I would be out there supporting Jabor just because I can claim my claim to fame that I beat her love and love. <laughs> What's Bujkova like? She's a different kind of player. She's a very steady kind of um, defensive almost type player. Uh, she had an amazing win there in the fourth round, only making four unforced errors. So that's really showing the strength in her defensive game and how solid she can be. She has a pretty good backhand um, and that's probably her strength and her ground strokes. And then her serve is fairly solid too. But when I played against her there a few years ago, I remember thinking this girl is good. I remember seeing her practicing and watching some of her matches um, and thinking she's going to be in the top 50 and she, lo and behold she is there now um, I had a pretty tough game against her I didn't come out the, the victor in that one but uh, I do remember playing her and thinking she's going to be a star of the future and she's still only quite young now so there's time for her and she's making an impressive run here in Wimbledon and she's had a very good grass court season as well What is it specifically about her that you saw that day that suggested that she was something different? Is it is it is it a skill set? Is it a mentality, or or what is it? Yeah, I think the mentality and the attitude. Like she just had this very intense persona about her. Like she did went about her business very professionally, different to the other girls that you see. Um, She just had this intensity about her. That's the one word that comes to my mind when I thought back about what was so good about her. It wasn't necessarily you know her game that stood out in the match, or that she didn't you know her forehand or backhand wasn't what separated her. It was really the intensity and the attitude she brought to every practice and every match. How do you see that? Is is it like about spending time on tour? Is it like playing her a couple of times? Or, or, or how do you get to appreciate just uh, that, that, that level of character that you're talking about there? You can see it. Like you can see it in the, in the dressing room. You can see it in the way they... Uh, warm up you can see it in the way they carry themselves like she was just very very much like a professional she kept to herself a lot she was travelling with her dad at the time and I think he was her coach and she was just they, they stuck together the whole time they they were really just went there about the business and wanted to win and, and that's what she was doing she was annihilating opposition at, at that time when we were playing it, it, like I mean, is there any tennis player at the moment who, who isn't like that? Is, is one of the questions I would have. Like, it does seem like it's almost like a, a prerequisite that there is that sort of um, like ridiculous level of dedication and determination that that's that's required really for for you to try and get to a quarter final at a at a Grand Slam. Well, I think you know you have to have that individual mindset. Being in an individual sport, it is all about what you do and those those small details every little detail matters you know um, every day the, those incremental gains you're looking for that 1% every day like you're so driven in an individual sport but then look at Kyrgios you know in the men's game he doesn't come across as the most professional and in the way that he carries himself And but you know I think that most every most athlete in tennis is going to be like that driven and motivated does that work for Kyrgios, do you think? Or do you think that actually holds him back and stops him from achieving what his talent could possibly achieve? I think there's two sides to that. I think it serves him in one way, the way that he carries on. But then, you know, also I, I don't think that, you know, he hasn't got the success that he ha- has potential to succeed, to, to sorry, to, to get in his career. He hasn't got past quarter final in a Grand Slam. And we've been talking about him for like seven or eight years now and he just hasn't quite... Um, 
succeeded in in those big moments but I think this this could be a different year for Kyrgios you know but his attitude and behaviour I mean the game needs someone like him as well like it can't all be the prim and proper Roger Federer you know it's nice to have a bit of a difference in the game Coming back Go on I'm sorry, I was going to say that I, I, I love that. Like, I mean, were, were, were you kind of like tot-totting at uh, Tsitsipas versus Kyrgios on Saturday or were you like, give me more of this? Yeah, that was box office stuff, that match between Tsitsipas and Kyrgios. But also a little bit childish from the both of them. Um, you know, but as I said, that serves Kyrgios, that kind of on-court circus behaviour that he goes on with. And he gets under the skin of his oppositions and and, and Tsitsipas has got, is guilty of that. He's got to put his hands up and say he let Kyrgios get under his skin and bother him and and ultimately, Kyrgios beat him. I'd love to see some stats, uh, some proper analysis on the underarm serves and how successful they are. Because it was somebody else was doing five or six of them in another match. And uh, in the short clip that I saw on Twitter, which I would, let's face it is not exactly uh, you know chapter and verse and the equivalent of XG. But like it seems to piss people off so much that they inevitably end up losing the point. Yeah, I actually thought the underarm serve wasn't wasn't allowed, and then you see them doing it obviously in, in Wimbledon. Um, that is a tactic to, just to throw your opponent solely to throw your opponent. I thought you had to have an injury to serve underarm, but obviously not. And Kyrgios is using that to his advantage. Um, it can be deemed fairly unsportsmanlike, though. Oh, to totally. Be well, that's, like yeah, that. but like it turns out, unsportsmanlike is this kind of unwritten code, and so therefore not unless they're, they're going to give you a violation. At which point, it's going to be a massive row because, like you know. You're, you've decided that this thing which is within the rules is you know so um, I think Kyrgios makes his own rules though to be honest seems to be yeah um, I was definitely on the side that like since he passed the ball into the crowd should have been disqualified it felt to me like Kyrgios you know I'm, I've not been his biggest fan here Colm is his biggest fan here and has been defending him his entire time uh, he got a point he had a point right yeah he got a point penalty no sorry he had a point in, oh. in, in the argument like this guy just hit the ball into the crowd if I had done that a bomb would have gone off here and you would have thrown me out. Yeah, but that, that's actually true because Kyrgios, you can see over the course of his career, he has, has been subjected to many fines and obviously that's been warranted because of his behaviour. But yeah, in that situation, I think they had a point. But that it, that in the rules of tennis, that is such a grey area. Yeah. You know, it's not black and white. So I think, yeah, if Kyrgios was the one to hit the ball out, it actually hit of the wall and came back and hit a spectator I thought it did as well Colin was insisting that it hadn't hit anybody in the back but I, I'm pretty sure that like your man ducks but then I'm like where did the ball go we don't see the ricochet yeah. on camera we don't see the ricochet on camera pretty it sure it hits someone the right ball the doesn't head. disappear E equals MC squared buddy anyway <laughs> can we go back to Angebert because I wasn't here last week and um, and so you what age were you when you beat Angebert it was uh, I was 20 so that was a few years ago yeah I was playing um, we were playing Fed Cup so she was playing for Tunisia and I was obviously playing for Ireland in, right. in Egypt and um, it was uh, one all thing in the tie there's three matches and it came down to that match and, and we won Ireland won um, we didn't qualify but they had actually already won they'd qualified at that stage um, but she at that as well she was one of those players that people were talking about she was very talented you could see the way she plays now is exactly how she's playing then with um, very good like touch and she's got a lot of variety in her game and she was even at that age she was only maybe 18 at that time um, she had a lot of a lot of those skills there and, and she's gone on and obviously shown that she's She's capable of the potential that they, they said she had. She's had a great career and, and is still kind of kind of peaking at this stage too. So what what has allowed her to go from that level to this level, do you think? Is that, was that where she was destined for anyway? Yeah, I think that's say yes, she was on a, a course to be a professional tennis player. She's obviously very young at 18 um, and 
from there she's progressed and obviously said she's only now really really seeing the potential she's capable of and I think she's got a good few years ahead of her at the top of the game she's now the number three in the world um, and she's got a great game to suit all surfaces um, great mentality and a good athlete yeah I think that she's made for made for more Two other of the women that we should be talking about um, uh, is Amanda Anisimova yeah so she beat Harmony Tan Harmony Tan had knocked out Serena again one of those like and Harmony Tan was going deep and it felt like ooh this is going to be one of those things where we're you know in the French Revolution and then <laughs> no sorry we've had enough now of the French thanks very much all in one day yeah like, like you were alluding to earlier the fact that she you know the players who have those big wins against Williams and then I thought she would be knocked out in the next round because you know she was also unheard of and you know her ranking is quite high and, and having beat Williams then there's this huge media uh, spotlight on her and then she's done quite well against the 49 but then honestly Samova is a very tough opposition. She has, um, a few years ago, she was doing really well. She's run deep in all of the Grand Slams this year. She's made it past the fourth round on Samova. She's a super solid, powerful player. Um, as I said, a few years ago, she was kind of reaching her peak. I thought she's only very young. But then her dad suddenly passed away, I think, and that kind of knocked her. Um, I think she would have been one of the stars we've been talking about, like Andrea Andrescu as well. They were kind of similar the two these two girls and um, she's getting back now on form as I said this year she's having showing consistency in the slam so she's a threatening player as well so she's up against Simona Halep and that's maybe the greatest threat Simona Halep faces before the final yeah I'd say that's probably the, the best match we're going to see in the women's quarter final is Anna, Anna Samova and Halep and the two big hitters coming up against each other um, but I think Halep has that experience and will be able to edge her in that match ok and Tatiana, Tatiana Maria uh, is the German who um, is up against Yuli Neymar and uh, Maria's best previous is in the second round so that's one of those uh, plucky underdog stories Yeah that's an interesting matchup between these two Germans you know kind of like the old and new um, Neymar's only 22 so she's quite young and she's only coming into her career whereas we have Maria who is a mother of two like this time last year she was only having a baby um, and she's shown her best results after she's had her two kids so she has an eight year old now and I think eight years ago she got to the fourth round or, right, okay. or so in a yeah. Grand Slam and um, I don't know maybe there's something in that um, but that'll be a match up again of, of two different styles of players but uh, old and old and new so it'll be exciting to see I think Neymar might come through on that one just with the way that she's playing and the game that she has Okay Collis who's going to win the men's? I think it might be Djokovic wouldn't it be great to see a Djokovic-Nadal final that would be very exciting although most people want to see a Djokovic-Kyrgios could that be a final out there you know uh, but I think Djokovic is just he's showing his form now he's coming into himself in Wimbledon you know he's had a bit of a rocky season so far with all of the the COVID issues, etc. Um, he's still playing pretty well, isn't he? Yeah, annoyingly so. Yeah, he's yeah. playing very well. He's really showing Djokovic of not of old. Of, he's obviously still playing the way he can play, but I think that he's going to be the man to beat in this tournament. He's having these little rests in matches where he's losing a set, but then like immediately comes back and is crushing people with a full, the full range of everything that he can do, like little drop shots, little drop volleys, like absolutely whacking serves. He's he's. Uh, he's been motivated it looks like by what Nadal has done yeah well he's had he, he's a player with a huge repertoire you know he can do 
pretty much anything from any, anywhere. He's an amazing defender on the court, but then on a grass court, he's able to really step up and play with power. And he's hitting the ball so powerfully. Um, I was listening to some of the commentators there saying that, you know, when you actually see him on live, the sheer speed of the ball that he's hitting, he's just penetrating through the court and keeping the opponent pushed back. And then like that, then he's able to come come up to the net and use his volleys and that these amazing drop shots. He's just such an all-round player. It's going to be hard to see anyone beating him this, this Wimbledon. One last question for you. We saw Alcaraz and Sinner and it feels like that's the version of the future that hopefully in a couple of years' time we'll be looking back on. Oh, remember that was the start of their rivalry on this court and on a bunch of other courts. Um, am, I, am I grasping a little bit too much? Are they not quite at the level yet where they could be dominant forces in the next couple of years? No, I think you're right. I think that they will be the names that we'll be talking about in years to come, especially Alcaraz. I mean, we've been talking about Sinner for a few years now and, you know, last year he won a Masters title or he was run up in, in the Masters title and, uh, sorry, Masters final and he's been a player we've been talking about. Sinner, he's got an amazingly powerful game but then he just went off the boil there a little bit but Alcaraz is the man, I think, of the future. Definitely he's the next Spaniards and Nadal I'm going to say, I'm going to say there um, he's got a, a super game he just didn't take it on the grass court take it to the grass courts at all his movement wasn't very good uh, he was serving very well but movement wasn't very good um, I didn't think and I thought I was surprised that Sinner actually beat him but maybe a little bit of experience on grass beat uh, had him beating Alcaraz but these guys will be the stars of the future definitely I think it sets it up nicely for the rest of the year as well Jenny good stuff thanks a for joining us cheers yeah, thank you. it's uh, 14 minutes past 9 here's what's coming up on uh, OTB Sports Radio today uh, at 1 o'clock OTB Gold is Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali Koi Gig is uh, our Euro show at 3 o'clock uh, career retrospective of Damien Delaney at 4 o'clock and then Ronnie Delaney at six uh, is OTB Gold, where he talks about his incredible career. Richie McCormack is hosting the show tonight from seven. You can follow off the wall across all of our social channels, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the very latest and best sports content and analysis. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Up next, Formula One with broadcaster and journalist Chris Medland reviewing Silverstone. Stay tuned. OTB AM. Right, 16 minutes past nine. Owen, who do you want to see win Wimbledon? Oh, it's a good question. I mean, if we could have uh, Nick Kyrgios in the winner's enclosure at some point in any Grand Slam, I would take that. This I is mean, probably going to be your best chance to see that happen, I think. It feels like it, doesn't it? Unless, like, I mean, unless there's like some sort of uh, continuation of this level of form when Djokovic does eventually exit stage left and same with Nadal and there's just a, an opportunity for him to hang around and in a Wimbledon in two or three years' time, he just picks one up. But um, I think I think we all want to see him win. Well, no, we, we all, not all of us want to see him win, but I think a lot of us want to see him win just for the for the chaotic element of it all. The red hat as the uh, um, tournament trophy is being hoisted, that would be, you know... So, uh, it's funny how that is like the the absolute outrage when actually loads of other stuff is happening. You're like, uh, well, maybe their priorities are wrong. 17 minutes past nine. Let's turn our attention to events at the British Grand Prix. I'm delighted to say Chris Medland, Formula One broadcaster and journalist, is with us now. Chris, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. Thanks. How are you? I saw in one of the papers today um, the halo was described as the controversial or much despised halo. Um, for those of us who are coming to Formula One relatively new, and it turns out there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people tuning into Formula One in um, increasing numbers, the, the crowd is swelling. Why was the halo so controversial in the first place and why were people so against it? 
So 2017 was the last season that we didn't have the halo. So basically the driver was slightly less protected. You could see them more. You could see them inside the cockpit. Formula One's always been an open cockpit racing series with open wheels. So the wheels aren't covered either. And it was uh, seen at the time as going against the DNA of F1. I mean, let's be honest, it's quite an ugly contraption to have uh, this kind of unit in front of the driver and over the top of them, like almost a cage around them. Uh, And it, it, for some people, took away a bit of the aspect and, and as they would call it, the DNA of F1 uh, and removed the, the ability to see the driver so closely for the driver to have that experience of being completely open um, and, you know, the way Formula One had always been. But it didn't take long for certain incidents to happen where the halo had really saved the driver's life or certainly saved them from serious injury um, that those people that were dead against it started to sort of change their minds. And um, I think this weekend, especially, there's probably two incidents uh, where we can really thank it for making sure that drivers weren't either killed or seriously injured. So, um, yeah, it's it's been one of those things where you just needed a bit of time for the examples to, to roll out for them people to kind of change their minds. The footage is so spectacular at the weekend where the, uh, you know, the, the sparks are flying from the halo and, uh, and afterwards the driver is speaking, you know, it's, um, it's such a remarkable thing. Does this mean that we'll see more changes in Formula One or is this kind of the end of the, it's now, it, is it now safe enough that they don't need to make too many more changes like this? No, it will never be safe enough in the sense that Formula One will always keep trying to improve. But I don't think it'd be around the halo that they actually make changes. Uh, I think that was a big, big step to protect the driver's head. Um, obviously, they wear helmets, but as you could see with that accident at the weekend, if the halo wasn't there, the helmet is against the ground at that speed. But that's because the roll hoop failed. So there's a roll hoop at the top of the car that should keep the car a certain distance above the ground if it's upside down or if something lands on top of it to protect the driver's head as well. Uh, And that failed at that speed um, with the heat and and with the impact. Um, It seems that the cars are so heavy now that basically the test will need to be beefed up for next year to make sure that the roll hoops will sustain that kind of uh, force. So that's the sort of thing that will improve moving forward. Essentially, every time you get another case where there's excessive loads or bigger loads that something has to withstand, then everything gets beefed up to deal with it. Um, it kind of in response. So the FIA, the governing body, will be analysing the accidents of the weekend and trying to work out, OK, what can we learn from here to make sure that the next time this happens, the cars are even more safe. How are the drivers from the two incidents at the weekend? So in a sense, I should probably mention three incidents, actually. So Guan Yu Zhou is fine. Um, in fact, all of the drivers are fine, which is great to say. Guan Yu Zhou was the Alfa Romeo driver who was upside down uh, and then his car dug into the gravel trap, flipped over the tyre barrier and landed a gate, well, hit the fence that stopped it getting into the grandstand and dropped behind the barrier the wrong way. So he was stuck in the car for a long time, but was completely fine, which was incredible. And he came out to the pit wall to see his team and kind of make them all know he was okay. And, and the crowd was going crazy. And he, he asked his team members, oh, who just overtook who? Thinking Lewis Hamilton had passed someone and the crowd was going wild for that. And they're like, no, no, that's for you, that you've just come out of that unscathed. Uh, the other one was Alex Albon, who had quite a big hit into the concrete barrier at turn one. And it was at the same time with a separate incident. Uh, and that gave him some back pain. So he was taken to a hospital in Coventry uh, by air ambulance just to check him over. And it actually just took a long time, but he's fine. He's already um, sort of doing rehab work and should be okay to race this weekend in Austria. He was even cooking uh, burgers on the barbecue by Sunday night. So it was just precautionary, those checks. And the other one was a guy called Roy Nassani who races in Formula 2, uh, who had another car basically T-bone him, but from an airborne airborne position, launched off another curb. And without the halo, he would have been seriously injured or killed. I mean, it would have hit his helmet um, clean. So uh, he's also fine having 
been so so close to a much worse injury so yeah really in a sense really lucky but these are safety advances that F1 makes to protect against these incidents so as scary as they were it's um, a testament to that work uh, the race itself obviously somewhat overshadowed a little bit in a um, aftermath because of, of those incidents but it turns out it was an actually brilliant race as well yeah, it was, a, it was a classic. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about it being one of the best races they've seen. I think because of the racing we got, uh, Silverstone is a high-speed circuit. It's perfect for these new cars that are uh, high downforce but generated in different ways. So drivers can follow more closely, but it's very, very high speed. And we had spells of racing where drivers were three, four wide. Uh, towards the end, there was an amazing moment where Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc were fighting in the second place uh, at the final few corners. They both kind of run off the track because they're fighting so hard. And Lewis Hamilton passes them both on the inside and the place erupted. Now, Hamilton lost that place two corners later because they can clo- fight so closely. But there was some amazing racing going on. Carlos Sainz got his first win, which was very popular because uh, it's been a popular driver for a while. But his spell at McLaren specifically, I think, really elevated him to another level. And everyone was pleased to see him finally get a win for Ferrari. Uh, it wasn't a good day for Max Verstappen because of car damage. He actually did really well to fight on and finish seventh. But I think the home fans that are largely uh, Lewis Hamilton fans were quite pleased to see Verstappen have an off day or, or a tough day um, after he won the title last year. So uh, they were very, very pleased to have Sainz in first. And then Sergio Perez recovered brilliantly to second after damage at the start. And Hamilton got on the podium in third. So there was a spell it looked like Hamilton could have won that race. Mercedes were much more competitive than usual. And if he'd have won it, I don't... If there are any roofs on some of the grandstands, they definitely would have come off. But uh, yeah, third was still a good result for him. The uh, process by which Mercedes are trying to become competitive over the course of the season. Is there anything they can do to accelerate that so the end of the season is more interesting from their perspective? Or are we really looking at next year before that car is genuinely capable of producing a contender for a world title? No, I think they're making good progress now, actually. There's certain upgrades they've brought that they've started to understand things. They might be a bit limited in their development this year, that they can't quite get onto the level of Red Bull and Ferrari at every circuit. But I think we'll see them closer to the top two, sort of from the summer break onwards at most tracks and at certain tracks that suit them. Uh, circuits like Suzuka, which is very high speed in Japan and smooth, uh, and smooth is the, the thing they need, uh, then they're going to be very, very competitive and in the fight for wins. So uh, Austria is a bit TBC, which is coming up this weekend. But in two weeks, we then go to France, Paul Ricard, and that's a smooth circuit with some high speed corners where I think they'll be competitive again. So uh, I think as the season goes on, we'll actually see a more more competitive Mercedes, but they're probably too far back to really be a, a threat in the championship battle. They can just probably worry Red Bull and Ferrari more regularly for fights for race wins. But the, the feeling will be that next year they will be properly competitive again? You'd hope so, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're on the back foot from this year, and this is the start of a new era of car. The other two teams have kind of nailed their concepts a bit better. They've been more competitive this year, and they will upgrade their cars for next season too. So they will refine what they've already got. Now, in one sense, Mercedes has more scope for improvement, uh, or they could go for a different concept if they feel like what they've gone for isn't going to get them to the front again. But they seem confident that if they can make it work, they've got a race-winning car in there. So uh, I think it's higher probability that they have a stronger start to 2023 than they did this year but there's no guarantees based on the fact that everyone will be doing the same sort of work to improve yeah of course everybody else going to improve at the same time what about um hamilton's future is there any chatter around about a potential retirement next year no, I think there was a bit from uh, Sir Jackie Stewart saying that he thought that Lewis should kind of retire and go and uh, pursue some of his other interests rather than sort of fade from competitiveness at the front. But A, Hamilton 
was not happy to hear that. Uh, and Jackie Stewart actually wanted to clarify that he kind of didn't mean right now. It's just at the at the moment that happens. Um, and that's not happening yet. I mean, we saw Lewis at his best at times at the week at Silverstone. Some of the moves, some of the rating was sensational and um, so clean. It's the stuff that you really need to be so precise. There was a move with Charles Leclerc at the place where Hamilton and Verstappen collided last year, very controversially, where the two of them went inches wheel to wheel through the corner. Leclerc actually overtook Hamilton around the outside. One of the best moves I've seen in a long, long time. But the way they were both fighting and Hamilton did come out on top in the end um, was sensational to watch. And uh, I don't think that Hamilton will be retiring anytime soon, partly because he loves that racing. He loves those moments. Uh, but he also loves the fact that he's seeing Mercedes just claw its way back towards the front. And, and if this year is not going to be a championship winning year, which it almost certainly isn't, then next year is more likely to be one if they can start on the right foot. So uh, yeah, he'll be kind of thinking that this year is the year to work hard and try and put those foundations in place to try and get that eighth title in 2023. We've spoken a good bit on the show, Chris, over the last 18 months, really, about the, the popularisation and the, the second coming of the sport. Um, while, while obviously the hype around it is hugely important in, in dragging the new fans in and showing the soap opera, the most important thing is the quality of the racing being good and, and sustainably good. And it turns out that actually, while... Uh, you know the sport has been accused of being hyper conservative in in the past the changes that they've made to allow the type of racing that you've described at Silverstone at the weekend has been really beneficial the product has been ready I suppose for the hype that has been coming alongside it Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was kind of uh, surprised, but pleasantly surprised yesterday. I, I just played football here back home uh, on a Monday night. And one of the guys that I play with went to his first Grand Prix at Silverstone. I didn't know he was there. Uh, and he was sat um, at a corner where there was some overtaking, not loads, but some. And he said it's the best sporting event he's ever been to. He said he went from kind of a casual F1 fan who followed it and watched races on TV a bit to now he wants to go to multiple races. He says the event, the atmosphere everything's incredible and the racing was brilliant and he was supporting Hamilton and he said every time he comes by it's like a goal being scored like every two minutes uh, and he just said that 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 atmosphere and excitement you, you just can't escape it so I think that's what's been really important that anyone who does that invest a lot of money and put in a lot of effort to get to one of these races because there's over 140,000 now on Sunday you've got to deal with a big crowd and uh, a lot of walking around and waiting around and traffic uh, you need a, a good show at the end of it and that's exactly what they got so you're right Formula One has been working on multiple different fronts at kind of expanding its reach and its growth and its popularity and it's done it through off-track uh, venture like Drive to Survive or the way it's done on the TV series or the way it's opened up social media. The drivers are, are more personal, more personable now. They're, they're really letting their personalities show through and they're very honest uh, through social media and stuff like that mainly. But then they get into the cars and we're getting good racing because F1 also invested in these rules and regulations and the research to try and make sure that the cars were still extremely quick. That's the main thing. You want them to be amazing technological uh, creations that are rapid but that you can race with them. Uh, and it's not hard to put the two together. So they've done a really, really good job, I think, this year of, of making a step towards that. I am just really disappointed that uh, Eddie Irvine isn't a uh, 15, 17, 19-year-old driver breaking through right now because, I mean, you know, this this would be his moment to shine with uh, with a desire for people to have a bit of uh, personality. One last question for you. Um, a YouTube commenter who's watching Shifty Lads, regular contributor to the show, asks, can you ask, value for money, weather, country, what's the best... Formula One race to go to in Europe? In Europe, I'd probably say uh, Budapest, the Hungarian Grand Prix. 
an amazing city that's not too expensive. Uh, the track's not too far away. The weather's normally great. Uh, the fans are great. You get a lot of Scandinavian fans coming down as well to there that uh, like to have a good time. Uh, and the racing's been pretty good there in the last few years. It used to be actually a bad track for racing, but that's certainly improved as well. So, um, yeah, I think value for money, uh, I'd probably go with Budapest. All right. Come for the F1 analysis. Get some travel advice. Chris, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks a million. <laughs> Cheers. No worries. Thank you. Owen, is uh, Formula One uh, proper Grand Prix on your on your bucket list? Yeah, absolutely. Would love to go. Have you been to one? I was in the Barcelona Grand Prix like 15 years ago, maybe. It was a different experience. Um, couldn't really see much. Didn't really have a clue what was going mm. on. Might have got a lot busier as well since. Might then. have been up all night in advance of it because Barcelona is that kind of city, so you know. Couldn't, couldn't possibly um, detail exactly what happened or remember any of it. Might have fallen asleep I'm in the infield. I'm sure it was a great race. I'm sure it was an absolute cracker. A historically good, memorable race. There you go. Uh, right. Didn't quite mean to uh, admit that this morning on the show, but sure, there you go. What are your plans for the rest of the day, Owen? Uh, I don't know. I'd say I probably missed most of the morning, uh, lads, at this point. So um, we'll see who comes back in around uh, lunchtime and who goes out. And yeah, we we will see. That is uh, hang around. Incorrect. Uh, you're, the, you're, you're, the, the plan for the rest of the day is to go and get Bill Murray. That's your plan. There's nothing else going on. Just get Bill Murray. Yes. Uh, I need to find out what time. I, I hope I haven't missed him. But um, that going to get him will probably involve the secret sauce, which is... Hanging around. Okay. Um, can, I want. I want. You hang around good. I want a question on Scrooged. I want a question on Groundhog Day. And I want a question on Ghostbusters. And not about uh, whether or not Keen Lynch should start the final, no? Uh, and you should ask that too. I mean, that one uh, might get a little bit lost in translation. <laughs> wow, I mean, this is uh, this is just like the, your your best quality work of all time right there. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, right, uh, we're back tomorrow morning from half past seven. Johnny Ward hosting duties. We'll be talking Man United with Andy Mitten, the start of the women's yours with Emma Byrne. We'll turn our attention to the All-Ireland Senior Football semi-finals. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.